0: dedicated to covering all aspects of the superman legend featuring
2: the thrilling adventures of superman golden age superman the superman fan
1: podcast
2: superman in the bronze age
1: from crisis to crisis a superman podcast i've got a few things to say about superman the superman vidcast the world's best podcast and
2: radio kale from supermanhomepage.com
0: as well as the audio dramas superman last son of krypton and supergirl last daughter of krypton from pendant audio production join hosts michael
2: bradley john wilson billy hogan
0: Charlie Niemeyer,
2: J. David Weeder, Jeffrey Taylor, Michael Bailey, Scott Gardner, Kamen Stoll. I'm Isaac. I'm Adam. Dave Yunus
0: and co-host Scotty V at supermanpodcastnetwork.com dot Dear listeners, and welcome to episode 48 of Superman in the Bronze Age, the third episode of Superman in the Bronze Age Presents. Once again, I am Charlie Niemeyer, and before I introduce today's special feature, I want to let you know that this episode is sponsored by My Digital Comics. An up-and-comer in the digital comics marketplace, My Digital Comics provides fans an affordable digital option for their comics, and offers titles in PDF, CBZ, and Page Flipper formats, offering titles from publishers like Boom, Dynamite, Top Cow, Ad House, Tomorrow's, and many more. My Digital Comics' association with DCBS and in-stock trades does more than just provide readers with an immediate opportunity to own either the digital or print versions of some of their favorite titles in the format that they want. It brings them at the price points they want. You can find My Digital Comics on the web at MyDigitalComics.com. Now, unlike the last two episodes, that sponsorship has nothing to do with the episode I'm about to present to you today. Today, Superman in the Bronze Age presents an episode of Michael Bradley's Thrilling Adventures of Superman. One of the few Superman podcasters who actually has less experience than I do, Michael started his show at the same time as John Wilson started Golden Age Superman, which was interesting because... Michael is also covering Superman's adventures way back in the Golden Age, but his show is just a little different. Unlike John's show, Michael covers things in a more chronological order and splits them up to cover just one subject at a time. One episode will cover an issue of Action Comics. The next will cover an entire story in the Daily Strip. The next might cover an entire story from the Sunday Strip, etc., etc., all based on the release date. Not too long ago, Michael got to the Superman radio show and, for reasons unbeknownst to me, invited me to join him in covering them. Together, we covered the first 57 episodes of the radio show before I had to bow out due to not having enough time to give these episodes the attention that they deserve. In today's episode, we cover the very first storyline of the Superman radio show. So after a promo for his show, here is episode 39 of Thrilling Adventures of Superman. Superman.
2: In a world where planets die.
1: I have come to the conclusion Krypton is doomed.
3: Did I hear him right? Where good and evil fight a never-ending battle.
4: But millions of people will die. Millions.
3: Once again, the press underestimates me. One man will become a hero.
5: Every world needs its heroes,
1: Clark. They inspire us to be better than we are. Protect us from the darkness that's
5: just around the corner.
3: One man will rise to the challenge. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird! It's a plane. One man will wear spandex. Well, one thing's for sure nobody's gonna be looking at your face.
4: Mom? <laughs> well, they don't call them tights for nothing. <laughs>
3: Presenting The Thrilling Adventures of Superman, a podcast looking at the Man of Steel's history via his earliest adventures in comics, radio, and film. Featuring reviews, commentary, creator spotlights, and more. Join the adventure at greatcrypton.com. to the Thrilling Adventures of Superman, a podcast where Superman still stands for truth, justice, and the American way. My name is Michael Bradley, and this is episode 39, and this time we are doing something that I have been looking forward to since the show started, and really even before, because this episode we will begin our look at the Superman radio serial. Plus, as I mentioned last episode... I will be making an announcement uh, this episode concerning a significant change in the show, but I'm going to keep you waiting on that for just a little bit longer because before I go any further, I want to introduce my co-host for this episode. He is host of Superman in the Bronze Age and co-host of the forthcoming Podcast of Justice. So please welcome back to the show Mr. Charlie Niemeyer.
0: Hi. (laughs) <laughs> That's what it says. Charlie says
3: hi. Hi. <laughs> you can say more than that. Oh, okay. Hi, everybody. Charlie Glad was to on the here. show back in episode 25, where we discussed Superman number two and a couple of issues of action comics, and now he's back to talk some Superman on the radio.
0: Yes, and I'm excited about this, because I love the Superman radio show, and... I can't wait to talk about it
3: Good Um, I I really love the radio show too I've heard uh, I think I've mentioned it In previous episodes But I've heard these First uh, 25 27 episodes Whatever it is Just over and over and over And I just love these Earliest Couple years Of the radio serial Um, and, And I was thinking It could be interesting Because These are the First Superman stories Not written by Jerry Siegel And as far as I know Siegel and Schuster Had no input on the radio show and in fact as we'll see down the road it was probably more of a case of the radio show having an impact on the the comics and newspapers but yeah it
0: had a lot of impact
3: (laughs) so how much of the radio show have you heard
0: um in my experience I've gotten through I do have that first 27 that first Smithsonian box set Mm -hmm. with the first the 5 CD set which I guess was twenty the first 27 episodes. I listened to that a lot. Um, I've also got a set uh, that only, I've only been able to find on cassette tape, but it was uh, Superman with Batman and Robin. Okay. Which basically leads up to the next box set, which was CDs for Superman versus the Atom Man. Mm. Uh, so I've listened to those, and I even have a book with the scripts to the Atom Man storyline,
4: but uh, which was, uh then,
3: that script book was oddly labeled volume 1 even though it, it never released <laughs> any more volumes and, and they started yes. with a storyline that comes in the middle of the serial which is weird.
0: Yeah, they they for volume 1 and the sh- I don't think those came out to what I mean that was mid 40s by that point, isn't it? Mm,
3: 40, 43, yes. 44, 45 somewhere in there. Somewhere in there. I don't know the exact year, but yeah, somewhere in there. I could, probably, uh, I could find out, but we're not. Um, and then someone,
0: a generous, kind soul, sent me a CD that contains just about all the available episodes. And I've got, and that was the first time I finally got to hear the introduction of Jimmy Olsen. Oh. Spoiler alert. Sorry. Who's Jimmy and, Olsen? And uh, I don't, he's. Some, he's some guy. Coffee. Yeah. copy boy, I guess. I don't know. He wears a bow tie, I heard, but. So does Dr. Who, so who knows. And, um, yeah, and actually I got about as far as a couple of stories after that. And then I haven't heard too much more other than the tapes and CDs I already have. So I'm excited to be getting into this also.
3: Good. You didn't get to the introduction of Tumbleweed Jones, did you? I have not. Heard. Okay.
0: No. <laughs> I hope that's a good one, though. It sounds like it's exciting.
3: He, he's, he's an e- eclectic character that they – Introduce into the show. Uh, it's I don't again. I don't remember what episode it is, but it's kind of a ways down the road, and he becomes a semi recurring character throughout the series. oh huh. Not, not one of the, the ones, series, that, but for a little while anyway.
0: Not one of those that really crossed over into the other, you know, into <laughs> no. the other, <laughs> no. <Superman> media.
3: No. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> the internet is really, really great
2: for Guy Gardner podcast
3: I got a fast connection so I don't have to wait
2: for Guy Gardner Podcasts,
5: there's always some new site.
2: For Guy Gardner Podcasts, I browse all day and night. For Guy Gardner Podcasts, it's like I'm
5: surfing at the speed of light. For
2: Guy Gardner Podcasts, the internet is for Guy Gardner Podcasts, the internet is for and sometimes Kyle Rayner Podcasts, why you think the net was born? Guy Gardner Podcasts. Just One of the Guys is a weekly internet radio show dedicated to to bring you reviews, commentary, and a heartfelt defense of the characters of Guy Gardner and Kyle Rayner, the two Earth-based Green Lanterns who always seem to get dumped on. Over the next several years, I will be covering the Green Lantern books from cover date June 1990 until cover date November 2004. I'll also be covering the Guy Gardner solo series, as well as any other media that catches my fancy. The show can be found on iTunes by searching for Just One of the Guys podcast, or by going to the website guys.libsen.com. So be sure to tune in every Friday for a fun-filled look at the Green Lantern Core, hosted by me, Sean Engle. It's just as enjoyable as the search for the subject that this song is actually about. The internet is internet is internet is just one of the guys.libsen.com yeah. Just One of the Guys does not officially certify that this podcast is more enjoyable than pornography.
1: Lancers I've called you here to this unprecedented gathering because we face an unprecedented danger. An enemy we don't yet fully understand. It was for this moment that we were created. But I don't need to tell you your duty. I don't need to tell you who we are.
3: Chosen by the Mystic Guardians of the Universe.
1: Recruited from across the galaxy for their bravery and courage.
0: The best and brightest join to fulfill a solemn oath.
3: In brightest day. In
2: blackest night. No evil shall escape
4: my sight.
3: Let those who worship evil's might beware my power.
5: Green, Green Lantern's, Lanterns Light. Light!
0: Green Lantern's Light,
2: a monthly podcast covering the adventures of Hal Jordan, John Stewart, Guy Gardner, and the entire Green Lantern Corps from 1984 through today.
3: Say the oath. Join the Corps.
2: Green Lantern's Light, Available monthly at GreenLanternsLight.com.
3: Okay, so I thought we would, before we get into the uh, first episodes, I thought I would give just a little bit of background on the, uh, the radio show and how it came to be. By the later half of 1939, Superman's popularity had grown immensely. He was appearing every month in action comics. He had a quarterly self-titled book, All to Himself, which was unheard of at the time. He had a daily newspaper strip running in papers across the country six days a week. And a color Sunday strip was right around the corner, if not already in the works. With Superman's popularity growing by leaps and bounds, and DC looking to capitalize on Superman's popularity outside of the comic books, Harry Donenfeld formed Superman Incorporated, which was a subsidiary company specifically created to handle the rights in the rights to Superman in non-comics media. To seventy end,
0: years before, I'm sorry, seventy years before Grant Morrison made Batman Incorporated. Yeah, yeah. Again, Superman is the first. Okay, sorry (laughs) Uh,
3: But to that end, Donnenfeld hired Maxwell Jaffe And put him in charge of things Jaffe was a writer who Among other things, had contributed To Donnenfeld's spicy And pulp magazine rags Uh, Jaffe wrote under the anglicized pen name Of Bob Maxwell or Robert Maxwell Which, just to make things less confusing Is how I'm going to refer to him On the show For the foreseeable future of the show There's little doubt that Robert Maxwell is a name that's going to come up frequently. Aside from the fact that Jerry Siegel and Joe Shuster created Superman, which I admit is a pretty big thing to overlook, but aside from that, I think a considerable case can be made that Maxwell, more than anyone else, is responsible for boosting Superman into the mainstream. Maxwell is an extremely important figure in the history of Superman and will be involved as a writer, director, or producer of several non-comics iterations of Superman for the next almost half decade, or decade and a half, I'm sorry. Uh, he was involved through the entire run of the radio serial, the Superman and the Mole Man theatrical film, and on into the first season of Adventures of Superman with George Reeves.
0: Now, I wonder how much that, let's see, what did you say? Um, excuse me. Um, it's it, that would make a lot of sense to me because i was noticing even listening to these early episodes that there are a lot of similarities between the way superman acts on here and the way george george reeves portrayed him on the show mm-hmm. uh not so much with the toughness and beat although first season of super of avengers superman was kind of like that but just the way that he talked and stuff was i was like wow this is almost like the adventures of superman Before the show, which it actually kind of was, but. Yeah. I'm just blabbering, you can go.
3: (laughs) (laughs) It's alright. So, wanting to go beyond, you know, toys, trinkets, and and other stuff, Maxwell enlisted the aid of George B. Evans's publicity firm. Evans ran a rather popular publicity firm, and at this point, he was either already working with Glenn Miller or soon would begin working with him. Evans also, according to several sources, was largely responsible for crafting the early image of Frank Sinatra and turning him into a star. The firm also worked with Duke Ellington, Lena Horne, and other celebrities over the following couple of decades. Through Evans, Maxwell began working with press agent Alan Duke Duchovny. And together, Maxwell and Duchovny wrote at least four audition or sample scripts for a radio serial. And sometime in late 1939, probably during the fall of the year, these scripts were performed and recorded. I talked briefly about these recordings back in episode 32, and we will go over them more uh, more thoroughly in a future episode. Like I said there, the audition shows pick up a lot of elements of the actual serial, and I'd rather those not be spoiled ahead. But some there are some things there that don't get carried over, so we'll look at them sometime. Uh, since they were planning on using these recordings to pitch the show, they did them full out just like the regular show would be, with you know sound effects and a full cast of veteran radio and stage actors, including Clayton Hermans Jr., better known professionally as Bud Collier, in the role of the title character. Alan Duchovny said later that he and Maxwell specifically sought out Collier, feeling he was the only one that could pull off the dual roles of Superman and Clark Kent. Ducovny even speculated in later years that had it not worked out with Collier, they might have had to gone with two separate actors for the role, and I can only imagine what that would have done to future incarnations of Superman. You know, when the serial and the TV show came around, would they have yeah. still gone with two separate actors? Or
0: that would be kind of weird. Any, I would think that'd be a little confusing too to well, listen to. It's
3: it's all you know. It's all voice. And we're going to see actors in the show doing several different characters, so you know you could have two actors playing the same character, so to speak, and it may not be as confusing. But um, I'm just
0: I'm glad they didn't do it because I wonder if that how if they also would have affected like the on-screen stuff.
3: Yeah, that's what I'm wondering about. I mean, I don't know so much that
0: they'd actually change the actor, but maybe dub over when they're either Clark or Superman or something.
3: That could have been. Although, you know, George Reeves didn't change his voice at all. No, no, he um, didn't. Christopher Reeves did. Christopher Reeve did. Um Dean Kane really didn't. No. Oh, did but uh, what about um Kirk Allen? Kirk yeah. You know, it's been a while. I I don't think he really did maybe a little bit, but it wasn't really noticeable okay. like Bud Collier or Christopher Reeves.
0: Either way. Anyway.
3: <laughs> Anyway, they talked Collier into recording, but after reading the script, he said no. As the story has been told time and again, Collier didn't want the part, and Maxwell more or less tricked him into recording the lines and then edited them into the final product. Collier continued to try to get out of it, but Maxwell was very persistent, and while no one seems to know quite why, Collier did eventually take the role.
0: Lots oh, a Superman fan. <laughs>
3: One piece of misinformation that has been passed around through the years is that Collier accepted the role only with the condition that he would remain anonymous. And it's true he wasn't credited on the show. However, none of the actors on the show were. And additionally, Collier was named in promotional pieces and interviews for the show and was even profiled in Time Magazine around 1942. So if they were trying to keep him anonymous, they were doing a Pretty poor job of it. Oh, okay, now
0: see that I had heard that story. I didn't know about the other, other stuff. Although it, I guess it makes sense they do that for people on TV and movies nowadays. So that would make sense that they would do that. But, right. Yeah, I thought I thought that was part of a, a one of those deals where, like, I don't think Kirk Allen got any credit on the ser- on the movie serials either, did he? I don't Gosh, know. It's was been he,
3: was he credited sober. in like the the credits? He, I think. He, I
0: want to say they credit him as playing Clark Kent.
3: But, but not Superman, not that's Superman. what it was. That's right, because they were trying to maintain a, an aura that Superman was real. And, yeah. yeah. So, but, well, it makes sense that he
0: might have said that, but it also makes sense that it didn't work.
3: Right, yeah. But with the audition recordings in hand, Maxwell and Duchovny set out to sell the show. They tried both NBC Networks, CBS, and Mutual. However, much like Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster a few years before – They were shot down at every turn. Networks were uh, seemingly wary of the show, thinking, again, much like publishers, that the concept was simply too fantastic. And likewise, they were also concerned about the content of the episodes, thinking it might be too scary or violent for the juvenile market.
0: Wait a minute. There were two NBC networks?
3: Yes, there was NBC Red and NBC Blue. Eventually – Eventually, NBC Blue was split off. Uh, something with the—I don't know the full story—but something with the FCC, uh-huh. and uh, the Blue Network eventually became ABC.
0: Oh, that's cool! Yeah. I didn't know that.
3: And I don't know the full story behind it. I'm sure you can find it online, but yeah, I just know that, that there, there used to be two networks. Yeah,
0: uh, that's that's. I had no idea. Democrat <laughs> and Republican, I guess. Crazy.
3: I guess, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> But Duchovny used his promotional contacts and, f- and found Erwin Wassey & Company, which was an advertising agency looking for a program for their client, Hecker H.O. Oates cereal. Irwin Wassey tried pitching the show to the networks themselves, but were likewise shot down. Despite the rejections, though, Erwin Wassey really liked the show and decided to buy the transcriptions outright. In this day, shows were often pre-recorded and put on electrical transcription discs. Basically, these were 16-inch aluminum discs. Uh, They were similar to a record, but instead of being made from vinyl, they were made from aluminum and coated with a lacquer. This lacquer, though, was not very durable and would quickly wear out on repeated playings, which made the discs pretty fragile. During World War II, when aluminum was harder to come by, they started making the transcription discs from glass, which made them even more fragile. So it's pretty amazing that... You know, we have as many of these recordings today as we do. Wow!
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but it also explains why so many of the later ones are harder to find.
3: Yeah, and and why the quality too isn't quite as good.
0: Yeah, quality kind of sucks after a while. But yeah, those. I guess the glass ones just were so fragile they don't didn't make it because I don't think I've heard anything. Well, I don't know how late those the, the ones I've heard go. Never mind.
3: <laughs> but just, anyway, uh, pre-recorded radio shows were called transcriptions in the industry, and as we'll see, starting with episode ten, the show begins opening each episode with the voice of the narrator booming,
1: presenting the transcription feature Superman.
3: And I'm sure some of you are familiar with that if you've heard a number of these early episodes.
0: I use that on my show every time I'm about to start and I start up, uh, talking about a super about Superman comics. Yeah.
3: Superman of the Bronze Age
0: Exactly, and it just and I actually played that little clip presenting the transcription feature Superman That's fun, and I'm just talking again, okay
3: <laughs> so, so having secured a sponsor, Maxwell then hired George Ludlam to help write scripts And Frank Chase, who until then had worked as a rep for Erwin Wassey to direct the shows Maxwell, Duchovny, and Ludlum revised the audition scripts, removing some of the more objectionable elements. And on February 12, 1940, Superman debuted on ten East Coast stations in New York, Rhode Island, Massachusetts, Connecticut, and Pennsylvania. And not to be outdone, the show also debuted on a, a Los Angeles station, but under a different sponsor that <laughs> I wasn't pretty, able to find the name of.
0: This is pretty ironic considering the setting for the first six episodes.
3: Is out west? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, But further paralleling the debut of Superman himself, despite the show's struggle to get on the air and a relatively small audience, the show debuted to rave reviews from trade magazines and listeners alike and quickly exploded in popularity. But that pretty much brings us up to speed. I hope to do spotlights on all of the principal players down the road so we will get more information on them and their lives and what they brought to the table. And I'm sure that more behind-the-scenes info will come up along the way, just as it does with the comics. But if you're interested in an extremely thorough history of Superman on the radio and the Adventures of Superman television show, hunt down a book called Flights of Fantasy, the unauthorized but true story of radio and TV's Adventures of Superman by Michael J. Hayde. It's an excellent book, and it's highly recommended for any Superman history buff. I don't think any book has ever gone into such a thorough history of the radio show, and it's, I really can't recommend it enough.
0: Hmm. I'll have to check that one out.
3: One funny anecdote that I pulled from the book, which is appropriate for this particular episode, is that apparently Harry Donnenfeld was in Cuba on the day of the radio show's premiere – and for some reason Donnenfeld paid two hundred and thirty dollars, which is more than thirty seven hundred dollars today, to have the first episode piped into Havana by Special Wire. And the book speculates either Donnenfeld really wanted to hear the show as it went off you know, the first airing to make sure it went off without any problems, or that he didn't realize the shows were pre recorded and that he could have listened to anything he wanted.
0: <laughs> oh. Man, that's a lot of money. Oh, yeah. yeah. Just the first episode, though, so he doesn't even get to hear Superman. Right. Poor guy. Um,
3: but, again, check, uh, Hunt Down, Flights of Fantasy, it's an excellent book. It'll run you probably about $30 unless you can find it used somewhere. But it's it's really a good book, and I can't recommend it, recommend is, it enough. Is it still being published? I don't know if it's still in print. I'm looking here. com was the publisher. So you might check that. Um, I picked up my copy on eBay, but okay. I know you can – no, I bought mine through Amazon. But you ah. can find them on eBay as well. Yeah, I oh, bought okay. mine on Amazon. but
0: Tried to fool us. I see how it is. <laughs>
1: In the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's Superman the number one Superman fan site in the world. Superman covering the world of Superman from the 1930s to today. News, reviews, rumors, and reports. Superman for all your Superman comics, TV shows, movies, cartoons, radio shows, and more. Everything you ever wanted to know about the Man of Steel and more supermanhomepage.com Answering this question,
4: what does great justice mean to you?
2: Great justice means winning all the internets. Pirate beating Ninja. Yeah. Death to those who deserve it. The bad guys always get the fangirls. <laughs> well, that's a great injustice.
4: Free cosplay everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> dot dot dot.
2: The right people getting the right things.
4: Free popsicles and licorice for life. Find the meaning for yourself at Henshin Justice Unlimited. Tokusatsu, anime, Power Rangers, video games, and all manner of things geek. All gathered in one place. www.henshinjustice.com And now, folks,
1: it's time for Who Do You Trust? Hubba hubba hubba, money, money, money. Who do you trust? Me? I'm giving away free money and where is the Batman
0: okay let's try this another way
1: where's Bruce
2: People need dramatic examples to shake them out of apathy and I can't do that as Bruce Wayne. As a man, I'm flesh and blood. I can be ignored, I can be destroyed, but as
4: a symbol... As a symbol, I can be incorruptible. I can be everlasting.
1: No, no, no. let me guess. Giant menacing supernatural form. Kinda like a bat. Every punk in this town is scared stiff. You know what they say? They say he can't be killed. They say he drinks blood.
2: There's nothing mere about that mortal. Who, who... are you? I'm your worst nightmare.
1: I don't know who he is behind that mask of his, but I do know when we need him. And we need him now. Where are you?
2: Here. (laughs) Go! Legends of the Batman. Everything Batman from the beginning.
4: Available at BatmanLegends.com
3: The Superman radio show originally ran three days a week on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. The first six episodes, which I'm calling the first storyline, ran from february twelfth to february twenty third, nineteen forty. That puts it airing the same time as the release of Superman number four and action comics number twenty three, which were the focus of the last two episodes and running concurrently with the daily and Sunday newspaper stories that we will look at in upcoming episodes. Much like with the comics and newspaper strips, creator and performer credits for the radio show are generally sketchy at best. Generally speaking, it's almost impossible to know who wrote and directed which episodes, and as we get farther in, I'm sure the storylines were more of a team effort, as, as we'll see but the, uh, the actors and performers are a little easier, but you know, there's a lot of smaller roles that we simply don't know. As with the other stories, I will do my best to give the, the correct information for each set of episodes. And if I come across a new set of information, I will share that down the road. And if any of you listeners have more information, please drop me an email to let me know. But for these six episodes, they were likely written by the aforementioned Bob Maxwell, Duke Duchovny, and George Ludlum with Frank Chase in the director's chair. I'm not sure if any of the episodes had titles originally or not. None are given in the episodes, but they might have been titled in the original scripts. Still, like with the comics, they've all been named in subsequent years, so I'll be sharing those as we go. The first 27 episodes each have individual titles, uh, given when they were collected in a box set in the early 90s. Uh, and I will share those after our synopses because they're a little bit spoilerish but the overall title for these six episodes has been called The Wolf and our story begins on Krypton a planet we are told is millions of miles from Earth a planet that burns like a green star in the endless heavens we are told that that the planet Krypton is populated by a race of people who are evolved to the peak of human perfection a race of supermen. The narration describes a glorious city, and we draw nearer to the Great Temple of Wisdom, where the planet's leading scientist, Jor-El, is speaking with the planet's governing council. It seems Krypton has recently been experiencing a rash of severe earthquakes, volcanic eruptions, tidal waves, and other natural disasters. Jor-El tells the council that his research has concluded that these things are all indicators that Krypton is doomed. The council's leader, Rosan tells jor that he must have made a mistake, but jor explains that the sun is drawing the planet closer, and soon the gravitational pull will be so strong that the planet will explode. The council laughs over what they see as an absolutely ludicrous claim. They then ask, even if jor claim is true, what they could possibly do. jor tells them that he's been working on designs for a spaceship, and he wants to transport the entire population of Krypton to the planet Earth. Rosan tells jor that he has simply been working too hard. He goes on to say that the Council respects him, but they simply don't believe that a planet like Krypton could be destroyed so easily. Just then, another small quake strikes. jor warns them again of the impending danger, but the Council simply laughs and blows off his warning of doom. Fed up with their mocking, jor washes his hands of the Council, saying that he loves his wife and son, and not wanting to see them perish... Plans on continuing continuing his work alone. Rosan finally calls for a vote from the council on whether they should devote time and money for moving the entire population off world, but the suggestion is shot down with a unanimous round of opposed votes. Returning home, Jorel's wife, Lara, asks how things went with the council, but Jorel deflects saying he didn't say anything to them. He finishes his work on the model ship, telling Lara that if it works, he'll immediately begin work, work on a second ship, one large enough to carry them both plus their son Kalel. He then goes on to explain how the ship works, saying that it goes wherever it's pointed and that this particular model is directed at the Earth. He tells her he tells her that the Earth is a smaller planet located on the other side of the sun from Krypton. Lara is taken aback by Jor-El's depiction of earth people as being less advanced weak and helpless and more limited than those of the planet Krypton she's appalled saying that it sounds like an absolutely dreadful place but Jor-El comforts her saying that earth is the only choice because it possesses an atmosphere similar to Krypton's they have no choice but to go and live or stay on Krypton and die Jor-El's comforting soothes Lara, but she says it doesn't matter as long as they're together her main concern is for the boy. Joyle plans to launch the ship in the morning and observe its voyage via a high powered telescope. But just then, another explosion and rumblings rock the house. It's another quake. Not just another quake. Joyle believes it's the final quake. He laments that the larger ship isn't ready and says the model ship is only big enough for one. Laura says if only one can go, it must be the child jor wants Lara to go, but she insists, insists on sending the baby. If there's a chance, she wants it to be for him. The skies turn red, and the quake continues to rumble and growl. As the very house that surrounds them starts to crumble, jor places the sleeping baby in the model ship and begins the launch sequence. After moments of tension and dread, the home goes dark, and smoke and flames fill the area as the tiny ship rockets away. The ship soars into the sky mere moments before the planet explodes, and jor Lara, and all her people perish. Wow. All right,
0: so in Episode 2, uh, we are reminded from the opening narration that jor and Lara placed their child in a rocket and sent it hurling towards the Earth. We also learn that during the trip, the child matured to a man, and after the rocket landed in a desert, he emerged full-grown to explore Earth. The story begins with him hovering over a highway in Indiana and sees a trolley car pull up to the station. A professor and his son, Jimmy, are planning to go to the fair in town and board the trolley while the motorman uh, goes and gets some water. But suddenly, something happens to the brakes, and the trolley starts rolling ahead, picking up speed as it rolls downhill. They break a window, but by this point, they're moving too fast to safely jump from the car, which is unfortunate because a tree has fallen into the track. Suddenly, they spot a flying man coming towards them. He lands on the trolley, rips the roof off, grabs both passengers, and leaps away just as the trolley crashes into the tree. At first, the Professor and Jimmy are scared of their hero, demanding that he put them down. But after they land, they quickly change their tune and are soon very thankful. Soon, they react to Superman in awe as he relates that he's from another world and then acts like it was no big deal that he was able to save them as he did. To prove their gratefulness, Superman asks them not to tell anyone about him. But he also asks for their advice. See, apparently he wants to be able to observe and study men, see them at their best and at their worst. So they suggest that he be a reporter for a great metropolitan daily. So Superman realizes that he can't work in his costume and will need the clothes of men, but he also needs a name. So after some thought, Jimmy suggests the name Clark Kent. Superman thinks both of them, Reminds them of their promise and takes off In the city room of the Daily Planet An informant calls editor Perry White Confirming that there is something big Going down in the western railroads And that he might want to keep an eye on someone called The Wolf As he ends the call, Miss Smith reminds White Of a young man who is still waiting to meet with him But White can't deal with him right now Not with this big story Unfortunately he doesn't have anyone Available to cover it So he deci- he goes ahead and lets Miss Smith send in the young man It's Clark Kent, and he's there to ask for a job as a reporter. Unfortunately, he doesn't have any experience, and White has no room for a greenhorn. But Clark offers to bring White the scoop on the Western Railroads and the wolf, which shocks White, since no news of the scandal has been printed yet, and he only just now learned about the wolf. So since he seems to know so much, he tells Kent that there have been several accidents on the Western Railroads. And while that has been in the papers, what has been reported is the warnings that came before each one of them. At that point, White gets a call from the Wolf warning that the Silver Clipper will not complete its journey from Denver to Salt Lake City. Clark, who heard the whole thing with a super hearing, suggests that White call the authorities and offer to bring back the story of the Silver Clipper. White decides to take a chance on Clark by hiring him on a temporary basis to see what he can do. Since it's a two thousand mile trip, he tells Miss Smith to get. To get him plane tickets and a $200 advance Unfortunately, the fog and sleet have grounded the flights So she shows him around the newsroom And leaves him in a room While she goes to the cashier's office To get the advance Alone, Clark decides he can get there faster himself Opens a window and flies out At this point, Miss Smith returns Sees the open window and no Clark And thinks he's jumped But he's actually changed to Superman And is on his way 2,000 miles west Across the country
3: and miss smith is freaking out yes <laughs> oh my god
0: i thought she was I, I seriously thought was waiting for them to say and she faints
3: yeah <laughs> uh, but as our next episode begins superman flies through the air on his way to denver let me repeat that okay. superman flies through the air on his way to denver following the rail line and mulling over the events of last episode meanwhile in the colorado foothills two men wait in a rundown shack kino carter All around bad dude, and his boss, the nefarious wolf. Kino wonders why they're there, saying the Silver Clipper isn't due until the next day, and the wolf tells him that's true, but that the Western Limited is due in just ten minutes. The wolf's plan is to wreck the Limited so people will take their threat against the Clipper seriously. Kino wants to know why they're doing all this, you know, what their end goal is. The wolf snaps back that he knows nothing more than that they've been given orders to paralyze the railroads, and then reminds that Kino's orders come from him. Apparently the wolf has rigged a dynamite charge, and as the limited passes over the trestle, the plan is to blow the charge, causing a landslide which will collide with the train, forcing it to crash into a deep canyon. As Kino heads up the mountain to ignite the charge, high above flies Superman, who sees the limited about to cross the trestle, and decides to give the train a look over, just in case. Descending, he spots Kino with a dynamite, realizes what's going on, and deduces that the wolf must be behind it. Figuring he's got to stop the train somehow, Superman hopes that by boarding the train, they will have to stop the train when they find out he doesn't have a ticket. So Superman swoops down, landing on the observation platform of the moving train, changes to Clark Kent, and heads inside. He is shortly confronted by the conductor, who finds out that he has no ticket and no money to pay the fare. Clark says he doesn't mind if they stop the train to kick him off, but when the conductor learns that Clark is a reporter, worried that Clark will write a negative article towards the rail if they kick him off, he says Clark can stay on and they'll deal with him when they arrive in Denver. Realizing his mistake, Clark pulls the emergency brake, bringing the train to a screeching halt. Clark says his conscience bothers him too much to stay on the train, and he tries to jump off, but is grabbed by the conductor. Just then, an explosion triggers a landslide that rumbles down the mountainside onto the tracks, blocking the train's path. The conductor calms the passengers, and Clark gets flip, saying they owe him a debt of thanks for making the train stop. He then points out that they'd be in the deep canyon where they were intended to be, but disappears before the conductor can question him further. Changing back to Superman, he leaps down into the canyon, grabs the missing rails, and then heads back up to begin clearing the line. Meanwhile, Kino reports to the wolf and tells him that nothing happened. He said after triggering the dynamite, he'd made his way down the mountain and joined the mob and learned they were looking for, quote, a newspaper guy named Clark Kent. The name doesn't ring a bell to the wolf, but somehow Kino knows that Clark is looking for them, and wolf replies that they, too, will look for him. Just then, much to the surprise of the Wolf and Keno, the train starts moving again. Dumbfounded to explain how the tracks got cleared so quickly, Wolf tells Keno to ready the plane. With the train moving once again, they too will head to Denver to take care of Mr. Kent.
0: And then in episode four, after the narrator brings us up to speed, we also learned that there were more mysterious warnings about the Silver Clipper not making it to Salt Lake City from Denver, and that morning newspapers have carried Clark's story about the rock slide. While the authorities have been searching for clues, Clark makes his way to a meeting with the train superintendent at the Grand Central Station in Denver. Meanwhile, in a secret meeting place overlooking the railroad yard, the Wolf and Keno discuss Keno's failure last episode, and how the train conductor, who has been ranting and raving about a man in blue tights and a red cape clearing the rock slide off the tracks, has been confined to the city hospital for observation. The wolf is curious about Clark Kent because he seems to know too much, and after looking him up, found out that he works for a newspaper back east and has made it out to the west a little too soon. We also find out that Keno followed Kent from his hotel to his meeting with the superintendent. The wolf then has Keno dress up as a messenger to deliver a fake telegram to the superintendent. While meeting with Clark, the superintendent gets a phone call that an engine and tender has gone missing, which makes no sense. After making small talk about the train conductor, Clark asks about what the superintendent thinks about the recent accidents. He says he can't believe it and that they ignored the warnings and threats because they get them all the time. He says that they can't give in to the pressure and cancel the Silver Clippers' trip. Knowing that they only have one day to prevent disaster, Clark reveals his big plan. See, in his article, Clark insinuated that he knew more than... What was revealed in the article He hopes that this will lead him to a meeting with the wolf And since he, has, he was followed on the way to the meeting He figures that it must have worked And while they try to find out what he knows He hopes to be able to find out what they know At this point, the superintendent knows his Kino in his messenger outfit He delivers the telegram and leaves The superintendent reads that it is yet another threat to the silver clipper Then gets a phone call That the missing engine and Tinder has completely vanished Changing to Superman, our hero follows Kino back to the hideout Then changes back to Clark And decides to walk down the street to see what happens Through the window, Kino recognizes Clark walking down the street Sneaking to the back door, I think It seemed like the back door But sneaking to the door, the wolf grabs Clark While Keno gets him with a blackjack They take him down an iron staircase and take him into a room With instruments that are designed to make people reveal what they know And they chain Clark up to a wall
3: the next episode opens with Clark Kent, chained to a wall, in a soundproof cellar. Kino interrogates, but Clark tells him that he's got nothing to say. Kino continues to apply pressure, but soon the wolf interrupts, halting the interrogation. The wolf says that he had wanted to know where Clark got his information, but it doesn't matter now. In three hours, the Silver Clipper will leave Salt Lake on its way to Denver. He then goes on to boast about the missing engine and says the Silver Clipper is due for the same fate. The wolf and Kino leave, headed the San Joaquin, but not before a punch to the jaw leaves Clark still bound in the cellar and, as far as they know, unconscious. Kino is worried that Clark might escape, but the wolf is unconcerned, saying the room is surrounded by three inches of solid steel, five inches of concrete, and then more steel, and that there is no way he can escape. Once the wolf and Kino are gone, however, Clark, or Superman, I guess, demonstrates just how wrong the wolf was by easily snapping his bonds and breaking out of the vault. He then heads to the roof, breaks through the skylight, and leaps off into the night, following after the thugs. Meanwhile, the wolf and Kino approach the crossing of the San Joaquin River. The river runs through Schooner Canyon, and the wolf explains how there used to be a mining camp located in the valley, with railroad tracks leading down into it. But many years ago, a dam was built, and the valley was filled with water to create a reservoir, but the the tracks are still there. The wolf thinks he hears something overhead, but both men shrug it off as nothing. And the wolf continues on, saying that the missing engine is now in the lake. His men had switched the lines the night before and greased them so that the train couldn't stop. His plan is that the silver clipper will meet the same fate. Keno is at first hesitant, saying that it's murder. Then he spots something in the distance, which the wolf dismisses as one of his men. Kino is still reluctant about the plan, afraid they'll get caught. But the wolf says that the only two people who know are two men who were on the train the night before. They had jumped off the train before it went in the water and are now prisoners of the wolf. The plan is to leave their bodies by the tracks, leaving them to puzzle over the mystery of the dead trainmen and the missing train. Again, Kino spots a figure in the distance this time getting a clearer view. He recognizes that it's Superman and thinks he's going crazy like the conductor. But the wolf is having none of it and forces the still-reluctant Kino down into the tunnel, saying that he's weak and he needs to teach him a lesson. High overhead, Superman sets out to find the trainmen, locating them with his X-ray vision and ability to see in the dark. Finding the men shackled, he easily frees them. He reassures them and picks them up, flying them to safety. While back in the tunnel, the wolf shows Kino the fate that awaits the train. Schooner Canyon Lake, a lake that is a thousand feet across and a thousand feet deep, and still elsewhere, the Silver Clipper roars up the Rockies. The wolf checks the time, noting the train is only twenty minutes away from Denver.
0: Okay, and and as the Silver Clipper makes its way through the Rockies to San Joaquin Pass, and. The dangers at Schooner Canyon Lake Superman is flying around looking for the Nearest mountain town Finding it he lands, changes to Clark And heads to the office of the chief of police When the when the police chief asks For proof of Clark's claims Clark tells him to check out the Circle Y Ranch To meet with the injured trainman Now believing Clark Clark tells him to take a fast car To the su- <laughs> To the Studios Um <laughs> Somehow I got to an 80 song. Sorry. Now believing Clark. Yeah. Now believing him, Clark tells the police chief to take a fast car to the Schooner Canyon Junction at the San Joaquin Pass. Clark then calls Perry White, requesting that they stop the presses because the big silver clipper story is about to break. Also, White... Takes the time to ask Clark what he knows about these rumors of a Superman, but Clark says that he's in a position to know that there is nothing to those rumors. So while White stops the presses, Clark changes to Superman and flies the 40 miles to the junction to fix the train switch. In the cave, Kino and the wolf can hear the train coming. It's coming around the bend. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, then, with less than a minute to go, Superman lands to see that the seals have been broken and the tr- switch has been thrown. So Superman manually picks up the tracks and corrects their position just in time to see the Wolf and Kino. Kino, who never misses a shot, shoots at the Man of Steel three times. And while we know that the bullets just bounced off, the villains think the Kino missed. They're about to try rushing Superman, but with the train coming, they head to their car instead. At this point, the Silver Clipper makes it through the junction as scheduled to continue its trip to Salt Lake City. So Superman takes off after the wolf and Kino in their car. He quickly overtakes the car and stops them. Removing the men and holding them uh, and holding onto them with one hand, Superman smashes the car with the other to make it look like they had an accident. As the police draw near, Superman warns them that if they try wrecking another train, they will get the same punishment as the car. After taking off, the police arrive and are soon met by Clark, while the bad guys deliriously confess to the whole thing, hoping to be put in jail to be kept safe from Superman. Clark also mentions that the police should drag the bottom of Schooner Schooner Canyon Lake to find the missing engine and tender, and reminds them about the train men at the Circle Y Ranch. He then heads off to phone the story. Some indeterminate amount of time later Clark reports in to Perry White's office At the Daily Planet Thanks to his coverage of the Silver Clipper story White decides to hire Clark And gives him a new assignment But first, he again asks Clark about Superman Which Clark kind of laughs off Perry's about to explain Clark's new assignment When he gets a phone call On the phone, a man claiming to be the Wolf's boss Threatens revenge for ruining his plans Calling himself the Yellow Mask He says that in 24 hours The Daily Planet will be nothing but rubble. To be continued. Dun, dun, dun. And (laughs) tune in next time for a new adventure of Superman.
3: I I guess I should have pointed out that since there are six episodes in this storyline, Charlie and I are going to tag team in the synopsis and alternate episodes. But you know that now, so (laughs) I'm not going to mention it.
0: (laughs) I would imagine they probably figured that out. Yeah. yeah.
3: (laughs) Um, Our cast for this storyline we had Bud Collier as Superman and Clark Kent in Episodes 2 through 6, as well as a council member in Episode 1. We, did you hear Bud Collier's voice in I Episode 1?
0: I didn't notice it.
3: It's real hard to hear. I've only heard it with, like, uh, if I've had earbuds in, <laughs> and I think I can pick it out then, but otherwise it's hard to hear. But he is in that episode somewhere shouting in the background. Okay. But uh, yeah,
0: I only hear jor and Roseanne in that part, so it's hard mm, to – Yeah, everyone else is just ah. –
3: <laughs> But we also had Ned Weaver as jor in Episode 1 and The Wolf in Episodes 2 through 6. Agnes Moorhead portrayed Lara in Episode 1 and Miss Smith in Episode 2. And they
0: have the same freaking scream thing. <laughs>
3: oh, no. Don't do
0: it, jor Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
3: Jay Jostin was Roseanne in episode one and the professor in episode two. Mickey Jr. O'Day was Jimmy in episode two. Arthur Vinton was the henchman Kino Carter in episodes three through six. And Julian Noah was Perry White in episodes two, four, five, and six. The train conductor in episode three. The railroad superintendent in episode four. And the sheriff in episode six.
0: And you can kind of tell. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you know, I didn't recognize Jay Justin as Roseanne or Roseanne or whatever. Because when I say Roseanne, I think of the lady. uh But um, when he's the professor, he sounds like um, I think he's. I think he plays the professor in uh, the Underground World episode uh, of the Cart animated serials. I want to say he comes in for that too, where they go to that underground world where they're all like they get lost in the caves and lois and the professor are taken and does he i it sounds like him Hmm.
3: to me i'll have to look into that i I didn't uh
0: i have no idea it just that that voice just sounds familiar and i don't think it's from other episodes of this but i i want to say that i've that he was he's the professor on that and you do know which one i'm talking about right
3: yeah 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 yeah. yeah. i'll have have to look into that maybe we can talk about it or maybe i can talk about it in the next episode but uh, i don't know for
0: sure i have no uh I don't even know if you can find credits for those things, but it just sounded the same.
5: I guess you weren't so tough after all,
2: were you? Now it's time to send you to the next dimension. 291 original episodes. This can't be. It's still going up. 325 market chapters. You act innocent, but you're deadly. Time to die! Dozens of characters, hundreds of enemies, and a whole lot of violence. That
4: kind of violence is pointless! You see, Super
2: Saiyans tend to be a bit violent. Oh, crap! Join hosts Donovan and Jesse as they cover the arrival of the Saiyans, the journey to Namek, the battle with Frieza, the mystery of the androids, and the terror of Majin I lied when I said you could go. At least partially lied, for I will let you go to another dimension! The next dimension. Dragon Ball Z podcast. Join the fight at dbznextdimension.libsen.com. In peace. Wait, he said, mongo Dindi." That's wrong character, wrong universe, and wrong galaxy. Hold on, just one sec. Ah, here we go. Flash Legacies, a podcast connecting the adventures of Wally West, the third hero to be known as the Flash. Join me, Dave Walker, in my bi-weekly journey as I look at Wally's career from when he first donned the mantle of The Flash all the way up to the return of Barry Allen. Find me at Flashlegacies.lips.com. I'm Isaac. I'm Adam. For the latest news and rumors for all things DCU, listen to the world's best podcast. And remember,
4: stay, stay super. super.
3: The first episode is titled The Baby from Krypton. And it starts out with our first real use of, up in the sky, look, it's a bird, it's a plane, it's Superman. This had previously been used in the pilot recordings, which I talked about in episode 32, but uh, this is the first place where it was heard by the you know the larger population.
0: Or general public, as
3: it were. General public, that's the word I was talking about, <laughs> And in the opening narration, Superman is called a strange visitor from a distant planet – which is the first time that description has been used in reference to Superman. The phrase was first used in a Superman story in the second storyline from the Dailies, but that was actually uh, – it was one of the inner titles for the, for the strip, but that was actually in reference to the story's bad guy. The episode describes Kryptonians as a race of Superman. supermen, which holds to the description given in the comics and the newspapers to this point, and later on in the first episode, Jor-El also hints at the gravity explanation too, uh, saying that it's a uh, smaller planet. So, they're, despite the changes in the origin, they are sticking to the you know the Krypton stuff. That's cool. And we we get a very brief description of Krypton. Um, it says it burns like a green star in the endless heavens and the green comet is important to me because to this point in the scant descriptions we've gotten of it krypton has always just been a you know a generic gray or brown rock-like planet and as we know green is symbolic of the color of kryptonite eventually i'm not really sure how much to read into that uh, when they finally introduce kryptonite and it's colored green i don't know if there were Hearkening back to this I mean that's a ways off And given what continuity was in this era It seems kind of unlikely But Green seems a rather random choice If they weren't You know Mm -hmm. It's also um, That whole intro
0: part They also used it on The Superman movie Or the cartoon serials
3: the first Fleischer cartoon. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah, it's uh, pretty much... It's pretty much exactly yeah.
0: word for word. Race of Superman, Krypton burns like a green star in the endless heavens, and the whole shebang. Except, of course, that, their version that goes all the way through him being found by a couple, taken to an orphanage. Right, because growing they do the origin that. so right.
3: much in the Fleischer, yeah.
0: Yeah, because they just skip to the current.
3: Right.
0: Oh, well, so do these guys, but you know what I mean.
3: <laughs> but um, continuing on with how they talk about Krypton in the, in the first episode. Later on, jor says that Krypton is larger than Earth but has a similar atmosphere, which are both in keeping with what the comics and newspaper uh, has established. And they also describe the landscape somewhat, saying there's high walls and gleaming turrets. And they mention a magnificent temple of wisdom. Again, we haven't seen much of the landscape of Krypton to this point, either in the comics or the newspaper. Uh, just a little bit mostly in background detail in the first storyline from the detail or from, the, <laughs> from the dailies from the brief description here i picture a very grand city just buzzing with activity you know flying cars and, and and all that though maybe my my silver age knowledge could be playing into that yeah
0: i i was picturing some of the same thing i figured the high walls was just to go with the fact that you know they can leap an eighth of a mile or whatever mm-hmm. so it, the the walls could be higher for privacy, but I kind of have this. Um, I don't know how to how to say it. It's a it it's more of a Art Deco alien kind yeah. of um, Tatooine kind of look. <laughs> not really so much like it's kind of like those structures they had. Like it, I'm guessing you've seen Star Wars. Oh yeah. Yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, it's not even so much. It's more like what. A, Coruscant, maybe? Coruscant, hmm Yeah, not so much with the green and stuff, but, you know, those kinds of buildings. Right. And I hadn't actually pictured the flying cars since I didn't say, that, say it, but I could see the, the large spires and curved roofs and very much – actually, it's also quite a bit like um, the way you, uh, Metropolis looked on the Superman animated series. Yeah. Kind of that future deco look. But amped, a- yeah, amped up. Yeah, amped up a little bit. Yeah, mm-hmm. higher walls and – the turrets gleaming and more of a 3D CGI effect to it than just painted on a thing.
3: Yeah, Right. I kind of wish, and this is veering off topic a little bit, but I really wish we would have gotten more of Siegel's view of Krypton. Yeah. But they just didn't do that back in the Golden Age. I mean, I, He dealt with it some, I guess, when he came back during the Silver Age, but at that point, I, I don't know how much of it was how much yeah, of I think, it was his view? You know what I I'm think, saying?
0: Yeah, I think that by that point it was uh, Weisinger saying, this yeah. is how it looks. Right. Work with this. Yeah. That kind of thing.
3: But anyway, the the first episode here has the first appearance of Jor-El in the radio serial. And it's also got the first appearance of Roseanne, the leader of Krypton's governing council. council. And that's notable because he is the first Kryptonian to be named in any media, other than Jor-El and Kal-El and then Laura or Lara, depending on what media you're looking at. And this character will also feature in future tellings of the origin, not just in the radio show, but in the 1948 serial and in the first episode of Adventures of Superman.
0: I have a question. Now, I don't know much. I haven't seen the serials in, like, forever. And it's been almost as long since I saw the first episode of Adventures of Superman, but isn't it very much copying the script here? Yeah. I mean, it's not going to be there, exactly – There's
3: differences, but it's – I mean, it's not just uh, you know, a word for word for word, but – Right. But yeah, it's very, very similar. Yeah.
0: Okay. And also, a fa- uh, little fact, I think in the – I don't – I think in the TV show version, I want to say Jorel is wearing the costume for – from. The, the Captain Marvel serial.
3: Is it Captain Marvel or is it...
0: Well, it had the lightning bolt, so I'm guessing it was Captain Marvel, I think. Hmm. Like I said, I... He re- is I wearing
3: a it. costume that was used in a previous serial, but I don't think it was Captain Marvel. Was it Flash Gordon?
0: Anyway, okay, okay. so now that we've completely derailed... This, okay, now that,
3: now that we've we're back from... Uh, pausing to Google to research the mystery of Jor-El's costume in a show that we won't cover on the show for like a decade and a half. Um, I'm going to okay. let Charlie tell you what we found out.
0: Okay, so it turns out – I was wrong because I'm like that. And it turns out that the that Jor-El – Yeah, yeah. Just after 30 years, I'm doing pretty good. It um, turns out the, what, the costume that Jor-El is wearing on that first episode of The Adventures of Superman is not – Captain Marvel But Flash Gordon
3: Yes It was a costume Worn in uh, A 1938 Serial From Universal Called Flash Gordon's Trip to Mars
0: Ironic Since that's also The year Superman Was born Exactly Or not born But first published
3: <laughs> you could know, say he was born Well no Because he was really Born a few years Before that But yeah. but anyway uh, Radio show So Uh huh I think we're on Number H Now that we've Completely H. derailed For like 15 <laughs> minutes Um
0: that's right. I just said number H. I think we're on H.
3: Right. Speaking of uh, Jor-El, I like that they started with jor speaking to the council and spent a lot of time with jor explaining what was going to happen. In the newspaper strips, they breezed through jor time with the council in just one panel. And all the exposition was done between jor and Laura. And it, to me, it just feels less forced with doing it with jor and the council.
0: Mm-hmm. Plus, yeah, it makes it feel like... Most of, uh, they seem to have really that's really how they do it on a lot of the others now,
3: too. Yes, yeah. Plus, as far as the show goes, it's it really grabs your attention that pretty much the first line of dialogue you hear is I have come to the
5: conclusion
1: Krypton is doomed. Did I hear him right? I mean,
3: this really uh, wakes you up,
0: especially if you don't know what Krypton is,
3: right. <laughs> But it's interesting though this is the third explanation we've gotten for Krypton's destruction. Action Comics number 1 written by Jerry Siegel said it was old age. The first storyline from the dailies also written by Jerry Siegel said it was an internal cataclysm. And now here in the radio show Jor-El says that the planet is being drawn closer to the sun. And I think the
0: Silver Age comics take that one. I'm pretty sure they go with the being and the movie but yeah uh, I'm pretty sure the Silver Age goes with that one, and then Post-Crisis goes with the Internal Cataclysm, and I don't know what they're how they're going to do it on the current version. Yeah,
3: it's just you know we're the the character's not uh, uh, two years old at this point, and and we've already gotten a plethora of different. Um, Explanations for for Krypton's destructions. So and
0: if the internet was around then, we'd already have people going, "This isn't Superman. <laughs> Krypton didn't die from being drawn to the sun." Yeah, I was never going to watch says, it,
3: listen to the radio show again. They can't get it right. I know, exactly.
0: It says it. I caught it in print right here in my first issue of Action Comics One, Volume One. Old age. That's how it happened.
3: And then they'd really blow up, and they got to the second episode. Oh my God. <laughs> but um the the council's reaction to me is completely believable and realistic I and mean, if you if you picture a scientist going to Congress and saying that the earth is going to blow up he 'd be left out of d c yeah there's just no question
0: about it uh, i personally, I thought it was a little harsh, but you're right, it does make sense, but especially since these guys are scientists also mm mm-hmm. although I guess they don't say it 's just a governing council, so it 's not necessarily a science council. So it could very much be right. like just regular Congress. So never right. mind. I, again, my, silver, my, my later on knowledge of Superman kind of screwing with my head.
3: Yeah, yeah. Um, but jor this is another thing giving, giving us a little bit of a uh, clue about Krypton's culture. Jor-El says, may the gods have mercy on your souls. And later he says, only the gods know and so it gives us another small hint about Krypton's society because they're polytheistic. It's not a big thing because they never refer to it again in any significant way that I can think of, but I like picking up on these little bits and pieces, especially since the exploration of Krypton as a society is a very long way away.
0: That makes sense. And actually, it's, it's, uh, it's actually weird because I remembered it You're right though It does say the gods Because now that you mention it I remember it the correct way But The way I had a play in my head Was May God have mercy on your souls Yeah Somehow I was totally Blocking out the word the And the plural it well, just comes
3: from You know You were, you were raised as Christian And
0: Exactly yeah. Plus I just went to church this morning So <laughs> It happens
3: When When Laura asks Joel goes back to the house though And, and Laura asks Excuse me, Lara asks uh, What the council said about the planet exploding And Jor-El says, uh, I didn't mention it And I'm like, really? The planet's going to explode <laughs> And you expect her to believe that you just didn't mention it?
0: Yeah, that was a, that was a little uh, Wait a minute Well, yeah. of course, he also figured that there was still more time Right So, And
3: but, I, yeah I, I like that, that as a husband He's trying to protect his wife mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's a pretty big issue and she's just like, "Oh okay, but from their conversations later, she clearly knows what's going on, so you'd think that it'd be a little more i mean even if there's even if he thought there was a year, you know he just blows it off like, Oh, I forgot to go to the grocery store, no big deal you
0: know? yeah yeah, he no if it's uh, I don't know how it's supposed to have been on Krypton because Krypton's a fictional place and Hasn't been established too much yet, but I know if this was on our world, which is where most of this stuff would be based on, it would be a big deal for anyone to be talking in front of the council, or Congress, right. or whatever, or um, whatever. What is it called in England? Parliament. <laughs> Thank you. Or talking in front of Parliament. That's a huge deal. Even if you're a member of Congress, or a member of the council, or a right. member of Parliament. And they have those long white wigs. Um, So it would be – it's not something you're just going to forget and brush under the rug. Right. I'm also surprised she let it go with that without being like, you forgot. The planet's about to die. You went to wherever to talk to these people and you forgot. Are you an idiot? But of course women don't talk like that to their husbands back in these days.
3: But even if you're –
0: Well, at least not on radio.
3: Even if – you're, and you're right. It would be a big deal. It calls him the the planet's leading scientist, mm-hmm. so he may not be. You know, I'm trying to think someone on in in the United States or or on Earth that would compare to that. And I, I'm not thinking of any well-known names. Not li- not living
0: currently, but Albert Einstein.
3: There you go. You know, if Albert Einstein was to address Congress, that would still be a big deal in 1940, whatever. Oh yeah. Well, to him. Einstein wasn't part of you, but anyway. But yeah, yeah. You think his wife would say some but anyway. I mean it's even
0: if it even if it isn't getting news coverage and stuff it's just the fact that you're talking about the leading you know the leading body of government. Right. <laughs> it's not something you just oh and by the way I you know uh, it's I,
3: not like, <laughs> I didn't mention it.
0: I I I did mention it. Why would I bore them with that? I just went there and said, "Hey, so
3: and' what we're talking: hi. and they
0: well, say hi to you too, so: <laughs>
3: <laughs> While we're talking about uh, Lara, I, I skipped a note. This is the first appearance of Superman's birth mother in the radio serial. Here she's called Lara, where in the daily strip, she was called Laura. So again, we have a, another small tweak. No Kryptonian names have been given in the comics to this point, so huh. just we have Lara and Laura, which. And there is. Lara is what gets carried forward predominantly. Yeah,
0: yeah I was going to say, I think it's Lara in the uh, – spoiler alert – in that Adventures of Superman novel.
3: The George Lothar one?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think it's Lara there too. So yeah, that's the one that sticks. So. so again, we have something from the radio show that hangs around.
3: Right. But speaking of things that don't hang around, in, <laughs> in this continuity, Krypton is located on the other side of the sun from Earth. Meaning, our solar system has ten planets. Wow! And I did or a little bit days, of nine. excuse me.
0: Or these days nine.
3: Yeah, you heard about Pluto, right? Yeah, yeah it's that's messed up.
0: Yeah, and Krypton's <laughs> gone, so I guess we are down to seven, eight, eight yeah,
3: now. Yeah, but I did a little bit of research, and Pluto was discovered in 1930. So it's possible, or plausible, I guess, that back in 1940 they thought there could still be more planets out there in a the solar system. And they're very, you know, very may well be beyond Pluto. I guess we don't really even know for sure now. But they have the space
0: travel stuff, so they couldn't just send a satellite out to look, right?
3: But if if you think about the solar system, if any of the planets, if any of the known planets were to shift in their orbit to allow for another planet, it would have catastrophic effects on the other eight. But this so-called minor detail was just glossed over. In these episodes because they were you know, After all written for kids um, and, yeah, and that's you, not I'd... And that's not something I'm complaining about I'm just kind of pointing it out and laughing at it um, hey, Can you imagine what
0: In real life would happen If one of the planets from the solar system Was drawn to the sun and exploded
3: Well yeah Because <laughs> yeah. I would think that and would you, have You've got to figure if If Earth is being drawn closer to the sun You've got to figure Mercury and Venus Are also being drawn because they're even closer than we are.
0: Exactly. And who
3: knows what's happening to the the outer planets? And even if the others aren't, I mean, one we could get we
0: could hit Venus or Mercury before we even get to the sun. Right. And even if it was Mercury that was drawn closer and exploded, that's gonna I mean, I would think debris from an explosion like that would still affect Venus and Earth. Mhm. Maybe even as far as Mars. So, yeah, I would. Yeah, I would think this. It, it's it's a cool thought, but I don't. It's very not plausible. Right. Yeah. Even if just... it is on the other side of the sun, we'd still. Oh, that was the other thing. Um, they that um they also were using that because I there's that asteroid belt that oh between faces. us
3: and Mars.
0: I think so. Something like that. Now, granted, this wouldn't be Krypton since we didn't notice, you know, since it didn't damage us at any point. But they think that might have been a planet, Mm. so maybe they were playing off of that idea too.
3: Could be. That's interesting.
0: Yeah, that one I just pulled out of my head, so it's probably wrong. It was probably like Buck Rogers or something, but yeah.
3: But again, I'm not. This isn't something I'm complaining about. I'm just, you know, pointing it out. But at the same time, it does make me wonder why they mentioned it being in the same solar system at all. I mean, it kind of seems six of one half dozen of the other to me. Well, I'm but.
0: thinking it's just because of the fact that they they weren't thinking quite as big back in those days. Yeah, that's a good. Point. And you can you can't probably wouldn't be able to imagine uh, a planet a, a rocket ship. Well, one it'd probably be hard to imagine. A functioning rocket ship. But then it also, to have it going to other solar systems, they probably weren't even thinking about that kind of stuff back then.
3: Well, they had your, your sci fi pulps and, and all that. Oh, yeah, this is the first they, alien yeah. story that we've had. Good you point. Know. So,
0: but they probably weren't thinking about War of the Worlds, you know, it came
3: yeah. before this. So.
0: so they probably weren't thinking too much about it being outside of our solar system and right. getting to Earth, especially since. Okay, they probably could have thought of that, but not with the speed that would be necessary to get him to Earth without, you know, him dying first. Especially since their story has him growing up to be a adult by the time he gets here.
3: Yeah, yeah.
0: So maybe
3: which, I don't which know. I'll bring up again later.
0: Yeah, me too. About it, but. Yeah, that's gonna be interesting.
3: The dialogue between JorEl and, and Lara explaining how the ship works and about Earth feels a little bit forced to me, but. They had to get this exposition out somehow And given the time and era these were made I'm not really holding that against them And I'm not really It's not me complaining about it It just feels a little bit forced
0: And my favorite part is that The dialogue where Lara, find, or Lara finds out that What Earth is like And she considers it Like a dreadful place Millions uh-huh. of years behind them And everything uh, Also gets replayed both in the Superman movie and in John Burns, yes. and Steel Steel stuff, so that that's another thing that gets that stays for a little while, mm-hmm. comes back anyway. Because in pre-crisis, they it was just Lara pretty much did whatever jor says. And they're going to go to Earth. She's like, okay.
3: Well, that was more of the times, right? Than, than right. Uh, a fault of the writers. I mean, it's
0: right. Yeah. Once, well, once they picked the version that they were going to stick with for the right. rest of time, right. yeah.
3: But I I do love how, as we're going on with Laura and how she was depicted, I love how as soon as Laura finds out that it's the end, she immediately runs to get Cal and put him in the rocket. There's no questions, no hand-wringing. That, that feels very real to me compared to how a, a lot of women were portrayed in this era and even well into the 50s and 60s. Where they, you know, they they always needed the the big man to, to save them and tell them mm-hmm. what to
0: do. She didn't put her hands to, the, to her face and just scream like right. Macaulay Culkin.
3: Right. I mean, she finds out at the end. She just, I mean, she even has to convince Jor to send the baby because he wants her to go. Right. So, and that and that made sense to me too.
0: Yeah. Uh, see, for me, I would. Granted, I've never been in a situation like that, and I probably never will because I'm not that smart. But I would think that he would. Try to figure. Well, and, and they do kind of fix it because they mention it in uh, some other versions. But uh, they would try to. He would try to want to send both of them
3: because well, the, it was a model rocket, though. The rocket was only big enough for the one.
0: Well, right, but. Well, yeah, okay. In this version, yes, but okay. I know in other versions it's like, well, I don't know. It might have to change all the settings, but we can. It might be able to oh, okay, hold both of saying. you and the baby. Right. One version, uh, the uh, Bronze Age version, once I get to it, um, has him offer to send both Lara and the baby. And John Byrne had an, originally intended a pregnant Lara to go to Earth. Right. And,
3: and then, then die when Earth. she got here, which is how you know, right. Clark would find out about Kryptonite. But, yeah.
0: Right. And then he would have been born on Earth, which would have made him more of an Earthman than a Kryptonian. But yeah, the um, Oh, and uh, the animated series also does that.
3: That's what I was thinking of earlier. The animated yeah. series, I thought
0: that he would I'd have to change the settings. Right. Um, and there'd be more of a risk, but that he could send both of them. I like that version a little bit better than. But I can. I mean, obviously, he'd want to save Lara. That makes sense. I would like to think that he would also want to save the baby, but that he'd love. I don't know. Either way, I like the second part. Let's go to the someone I know.
3: Oh. I already said most of that, I think. I was just going to point out that 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 someone I know, uh, speaking generally about Laura and her use in the past, they recently said that Laura was only there as a tool for exposition, and and that's partially true. But here, she wasn't written as that as as the helpless female needing the big man to come in and save her, like a lot of characters in this era. You know, they yeah, that's a good point. They they had her say, "We're sending the baby," and that's it. You know.
0: Yeah, she, and ironically, even though the scene is shorter and the whole episode shorter, she actually has more of a role in this scene than she does even in the Superman movie. Yeah. Because right. she wasn't trying to play up against Mar- Marlon Brando. <laughs>
3: <laughs> right. Although Ned Weaver was a pretty big um, actor at this point, too. Ned Weaver was Dick Tracy on the radio. Really? Yes.
0: Wow. I, that would have been later, right? I I'm can't
3: not imagine. completely sure. I would have to look it up. I have not heard any of the Dick Tracy radio programs, so I don't know if he started. I know it started – the first episode was in 1934, I believe. Oh, wow. Um, but I don't know if Ned Weaver or, started with the first episode or if that was afterwards.
0: Because I would – well, I don't know. It all depends on how often it went too because I would imagine if you're working on – well – Maybe if all you're doing is recording, so you could probably get be on several shows at the same time without having any problem.
3: Bud Collier did that. He was on a, a lot of different shows, and he would pretty much just like run from one studio to the next to to get all the parts in.
0: Yeah, that's what I heard. And then he uh, he'd also like take naps mm-hmm. during the day just to stay awake. Little cat naps, yeah. yeah. Poor guy. It's it's tough being Superman. <laughs>
3: But as the episode comes to a close, we have uh, the skies turning red, which, since this is the nation <laughs> DC universe, it means there must be a crisis looming. Wow, 50 uh, years
0: too soon. What's going on?
3: <laughs> well, we've got three Earths so far. so <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> uh, and the final dialogue in the episode is Lara's frantic screams uh, she screams out the name of her son as the rocket zooms away.
1: Our boy, Kalel, our son, Lara, he's on his way, on his way to Earth. Kalel!
3: Kalel! It's just a very, very emotional ending to the episode. Bam. Definitely. We've talked for a long time about this first episode, but I, I just think it's such a fantastic opening to the serial. I've heard this episode dozens and dozens of times and I just – I really never get tired of it because it truly draws you in from the very beginning and keeps you – keeps your attention the whole time.
0: Oh, yeah, totally because you're – it's really got – I don't know. I guess it's an excitement level or a, yeah. or some you know something with more – with a better word that um, it just – you're so worried about what's going to happen and you know what's going to happen but I don't know. It just – it it's i actually like the some of the the krypton stuff went on other versions too mm-hmm. but it's amazing how much of this stuff in this version uh actually sticks around f- forever right so far especially since they had so much problem so much trouble actually getting this put out there of course again like you said it's like superman so you know he made a big deal too but since, and it was only played in so so few markets, that it would be. It's amazing that so much of it, you know, ends up being pulled into the TV show, the comics, the cartoons, mm-hmm. the movies, and everything else. It's just pretty amazing because this expands on it more than even the comic strip, right?
3: It expands on the the stuff with Krypton or with Krypton, with Jor El and the Council. They put more attention on that. Like I said, in the in the newspaper strip, they only had one panel on him talking to the council and the rest was with him and Laura. But the comic books have done very, very little with the Krypton stuff. It's pretty much Planet Explodes and then the next panel you're into Superman yes. on Earth. So,
0: mm-hmm. Okay.
3: And much like with the Daily Newspaper strip where they had two weeks' worth of strips before Superman showed up, we have no Superman at the beginning of the radio serial either. But again, like with the newspaper, I don't think that's a detriment because the opening is just so strong. Yes. And I think that speaks speaks very much towards the strength of Superman's origin with the exploding planet that it just just draws you in from the very beginning.
0: Totally. And it, it makes sense.
3: Right. And, and it's also why the origin has stuck around. And yes, there's been changes from in the various media and the movies and the comics and all that, but The basic part of Krypton is dying and they put the baby in the rocket and shoot it off as the planet explodes, that part has stuck around through all the different incarnations.
0: Mm -hmm. It's a great visual in your mind too of the rocket leaving as the planet blows up.
3: Uh At one point, I was going to uh, go through my comics and scan all the various panels (sighs) they show of Krypton exploding and the ship rocketing away. And I never did it. And
0: that would be a lot of comics.
3: Yeah, because it's, it's just—it's an iconic, an iconic image, mm-hmm.
0: you know. But, uh, but it's so iconic they used it as the uh, image for the cryptograms in the Adventures of Superman comic.
3: Yeah, there you, comic you go. Comic book. Mm-hmm. But um, we ready to move into the second episode? Oh, uh, sure. For? Okay. Well, our second episode is titled "Clark Kent, Mild-Mannered Reporter." It begins with the second use of the up-in-the-sky look phrasing. This is a different version from the first episode, though. There it was three male actors, where here it's two men and one woman. And it's preceded by Presenting Superman.
1: Presenting Superman. Up in the sky. Look, it's a bird.
5: It's a plane. It's Superman.
1: And now... Superman. And this version of the
3: opening is one that will be regularly used on the show for quite a while. Uh, Superman lands on Earth, and we have no real information on his age, other than he was a baby when the ship launched and a man when it landed. But for him to age to adulthood means the trip would have had to taken 20 years or more. Even though this rocket was meant to be a test version, so that's one long test. You
0: know. Yeah, because wasn't when when the test rocket supposed to actually go to Earth? Yeah. Yeah, so. He,
3: he told wow. Laura he was going to fire it the next morning and watch it as it went to Earth.
0: And yet, the idea was Right if it works, he'll build another one, but the planet could blow up in as little as a right. year. So. Yeah. Yeah. That Boys and girls, this is what we call a loophole <laughs> or a hole, sorry.
3: But again, pl- these were written for kids, so they just didn't care. It was all about getting to Superman.
0: And see, you know? just to show you that until you just mentioned it, I never gave that a thought. <laughs>
3: <laughs> but speaking of getting the Superman, we have the first appearance of Superman in the radio serial. And he starts off the first time we hear him. He's flying for the very first time ever. Very and cool. he's already apparently in costume. Yes.
0: Which is pretty cool, which means that they had a full grown adult costume sitting in the rock. Too.
3: <laughs> in the ship with him, yeah.
0: Yeah. Or it's just the way he it's just what he wears. He's been wearing adult sized clothes as yeah. a baby.
3: Well, we don't know how long it was between when he landed and when he met Jimmy and the professor, so it could yeah. be he landed naked and then made the costume himself, but that begs the question of why would you make yourself a pair of blue tights, a red cape, and a giant S on your chest, and why would you name yourself Superman? I had a note about this a little later. He names himself Superman.
0: Uh-huh. <laughs> that's, that's thinking a little highly of himself, isn't it?
3: Yeah, yeah.
0: He does – he says at one point that uh, people there would think – would consider him to be a Superman. But then Jimmy...
3: Right, but when he's talking to Jimmy, he says... Jimmy, these are the cloak and the shield of Superman.
0: Yeah, they kind of just glaze. It's just kind of skip over that part.
3: Yeah, and I've wondered before in episodes how he got the name in the comics in the newspaper strip. Neither place has really dealt with it. We've just always opened up with people referring to him as Superman. Mm -hmm. But here, clearly he named himself Superman because... No one had seen him or even referred to him before he met Professor – the Professor and Jimmy. Right. And uh, even in
0: the comics, they don't really cover it very well because Superman – super – even when he's a kid, he just decides he's going to be called Superboy. Right. And that's how they come up with the symbol. And there's no clear spot because they retro – retcon it so many times about when they switch it to Superman. Uh, it's right. either he thinks he's he considers himself a Superman or whatever, but what do you say? Oh, actually, I'm not Superboy anymore. Now I'm Superman. And if that ain't cocky, I don't know what it is. Right. So, yeah, they don't really get into a good reason for it until like the movie or Burn takes over.
3: Yeah. I like the idea that Lois names him Superman or that the public refers to him as the Superman – Lowercase s, and then it just eventually kind of morphs into people calling him Superman.
0: Yeah, that works.
3: But this, the opening scenes here in this episode take place, as Charlie mentioned in his synopsis, in Indiana, which is cool because I'm from Indiana. There's oh. There's lots of towns around here that are very Smallville-esque, but Smallville is uh, post 1978 anyway in Kansas. So it kind of I just like that it's closer to home. I guess you would say for me.
0: You know that show, The Middle, also takes place in Indiana. The Middle. I've never seen that. Oh, it's a, one of those nighttime sitcoms oh. on ABC. Okay. And it's called The Middle, and it's all about living in a small town in Indiana in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> kind of like where I live. Yeah, it's pretty funny. My <laughs> wife records every episode and loves it. But, yeah, so anyway. But that also takes place in Indiana, so I don't even know if it's a real town or not.
3: The very first time I heard this episode... My first instinct was that I thought Jimmy would end up being Jimmy Olsen. Did uh-huh. you think that too when you heard oh, it? Totally. The-
0: I thought I – thought, well, um, I was like, oh, that's Jimmy. And then when I heard that Jimmy Olsen makes his debut in the radio show, mm-hmm. I figured that's it. And this time Jimmy actually helps him. Right. But then he never showed up at the Daily Planet,
4: so I was right. like,
3: what? I, I think I was like you. I knew Jimmy appeared in the radio show, but I didn't know where I guess I – then when I heard this episode and they introduce a character named Jimmy, I just – but obviously it didn't turn out to be him. No. Um, When the car is out of control, Superman swoops in and Jimmy says, look, they're in the sky, which is almost a very classic line. And I know they're using it in the opening and that's what makes it iconic, but I like hearing it in context of the stories as well.
0: Yes. It's always cool when they say that. So – but I – Go ahead. He almost had it. Uh, I was just saying, but he almost had it. Oh, yeah.
3: And I love that the very first thing we hear Superman do is saving two people. Because saving Superman is a very cool, very Superman thing.
0: Uh-huh. And it's a very Superman rescue, too.
3: Oh, yeah. Yeah. You
0: can't just have him, like, keep someone from getting hit by a car crossing the street. No, it's saving two people from a trolley car about to crash into a tree.
3: Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. And his... His first words in the radio serial are, quick, grab hold of me, which is really only significant because they're the first words spoken by Bud Collier as Superman. But for what it's worth, I went back and looked at the comics and newspaper strips to see what those first words were. In the comics, his first words were, I must see the governor. It's a matter of life and death. In the dailies, it was, sorry to burst in like this gentleman because he is... Busting into a uh, bank that's being held up. Oh, that's right. And then in the Sundays, it's upsy-daisy. <laughs> <laughs> that's
0: <laughs> that's what you want to be known for. What were the first words your character said? Upsy-daisy.
3: <laughs> but uh, but yeah, quick, grab hold of me are his first words. And it's, like I said, I just love that the first thing we hear him do is saving two people. You know, mm-hmm. It's not quite uh, easy, miss. I've got you. Still
0: Yeah well They can't uh, They By that point They had 40 years To figure it out And this is Two years after he started So yeah
3: Plus they had the visuals And the John Williams music And Exactly uh, Yeah
0: And it's not like Batman's first words were Mom, dad So (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Or I guess um, Bruce's Whatever
3: The Superman feels very friendly And laid back And confident In these In these Episodes uh, Christopher Reeve exuded that air about him when he played Superman, just totally in control without being domineering. I've talked before about the, the helicopter scene, it, about how, how you know he picks Lois up and puts her back on the roof and, and then uh, lands the helicopter back there. And he's just like, gentlemen, this man needs help. And they just rush right over without even questioning him. And I, I just love that depiction of Superman because that's, that's how I picture Superman in my head.
0: And then he flies off and says bye. That's (laughs) – Right. That's actually part of my favorite part about those is just the way he says bye to people because if you think about it, that's just – he's from Kansas, so that's the way he was raised. Yeah. But it's just he's being himself. Yeah. And that's what he would do. He flies off. Oh, yeah. Bye. See you later.
3: He just – he's just flying off. He's like, all right, bye. It's no big deal. You know The. Lo- Lois seeing this flying man you know she's never seen a man flying before but to him it's just no big deal you know he's just very that- very laid back about it and he's not being chased down by cops and and exactly and, and, and just like people here Billings, he's just yeah. yeah and
0: just like here like they, they these two people just witnessed him tear the roof off a trolley car right pick both of them up under his arms and then leap and fly away. As it explodes And he's like Oh I I, did the, I do this every Sunday So yeah. it's like
3: <laughs> It's, just it's a no big, big deal
0: Yeah no big deal It's just the way it goes Because he's used to that from Krypton And uh-huh. I like that aspect
3: Superman Lands on Earth from, from his conversations With the Professor and Jimmy He knows That the planet he came from Is gone But he doesn't Name the planet So maybe he doesn't know that Still, I think it's odd that he would have any information about the planet since later in the episode he says, well, I have no name, indicating that he doesn't know that his birth name is Kal-El. So how exactly. he knows that Krypton exploded, when well, he if doesn't know much else.
0: If you really want to think about it though, he was a baby when he was put in the rocket
5: right.
3: and
0: basically spent at least 20-some years in isolation how does he know how to talk? <laughs> right. That's how does he know how to, you know, how does he know about these how he has these powers? Yeah. We were just talking about how it's a you know, just a regular walk in the park for him, but how does he know that he's been stuck in a rocket for 20 some years?
3: Right. So although it could have been some time between when he landed and when he met the professor, but still you yeah, bring up a very possible. good and he could have learned it somehow, but still you bring yeah. up a, a good point. They just Again, these were written for kids, and they just glossed uh-huh. over that to get to you know Superman and this being is, cool.
0: This is where fan fiction comes in. Yes, uh, this is where people start writing about. Oh, there was there was obviously some kind of tape being played that taught him how to talk and told him a, that he was from Krypton. Because think about it: by the time he's actually conscious enough to understand what's going on, he's probably like four or five, and he's not going to have any idea what's going on.
4: <laughs> oh.
3: You know, I'm oh. sorry for the little girly scream there, but maybe – maybe the – I would have to re-listen to the episodes to see if they mentioned it, but maybe the trip to Earth only took a couple days, and he's been on Earth for 20 years.
0: Well, he emerged – well, it, it
3: just say says – he had just gotten to Earth in, the, in it, the episode? Let's
0: see. It doesn't say he just got to Earth. Let me pull up the notes again. Okay. Uh, we were reminded in an opening narration, Jarrell placed the child in a rocket. We also learned that during the trip, the child matured to a man. Oh, okay. After the rocket landed in a desert, he emerged full-grown to explore Earth. Oh, okay. So I guess technically that does give him time because if it landed in a desert and he's in Indiana, right. that's quite a bit of exploring he's already done. Right. So especially since by the time he's gotten to the planet, he's already – he's been reading newspapers and stuff and somehow had money to buy clothes and things. Right. But I'd probably get the whole, ahead of us on the notes here. That's all right. But, oh. but so yeah, he – so while he doesn't have a name, uh, I guess that makes sense. But again, it, we sh- he should not know that he comes from a pl- another planet and – I guess he's a pretty quick learner if he's learned how to talk just from however, well, like you know we just, they're they're not very good on time on this. So we have no idea how long it's been that he's been on earth from landing to the trolley. So Right.
3: I mean it could have been
0: 5 years, you know, but Exactly. Could have been a yeah, it could have been another 10 years for all we know. He could be full grown, it could be 20 when he lands and almost 30 by the time he actually mm-hmm. meets these people.
3: He's named Clark Kent by Jimmy, which, from our modern reader's perspective, is interesting. That here he's Superman creating Clark Kent, rather than Clark Kent creating Superman, as in the majority of other incarnations. And I'm not trying to argue who's the real character. I'm not trying to pull up that debate. Right. But yeah. you know, even even in even in Silver Age, he's they named him Clark Kent. He was raised Clark Kent, then he became. Well, I guess you can count Super Baby, but he became Superboy, <laughs> you know, and he well, created even, that name. Where here, he's Superman, creating the name Clark Kent.
0: Right. Well, even then, if you want to be technical and consider Super Baby, uh, he was found the Kents – But judging by the stories, the Kents didn't know about his powers in the when he was in the orphanage. Right. And so they named him Clark. So he was Clark before they ever knew he had any superpowers. Right. And therefore, he technically would have been Clark before he was Super Baby. Right. So, although, but if you're going to go by the Silver Age, he was also Kal-el before he was Super. He was before Clark. So.
3: Right, but he doesn't know that he's Kal-el, and I don't. On this part. I don't know if I, I don't think any of the Kryptonian stuff comes up again until uh, Kryptonite. I, I want to say 1942. Okay. At some point they retell the origin. Oh really? Yeah. I think that's around nineteen forty two. Yeah, at some point they retell the origin from scratch and make it more in line with the comic books of him being raised with by the Kents. Spoiler really? alert.
5: Spoiler oh, that's alert. Cool.
3: But um yeah, that's a couple of years down the road. But but yeah, at some point they retell it and make it more in line and but I don't think between here and there they make hardly any mention of Krypton or you know, Joy Omar, so, because Kryptonite isn't introduced until after they retell the origin.
0: So this is the Earth-2 radio show Superman, and then later on he'll become the Earth-1 radio show Superman.
3: That's pretty cool. There you go. I, I guess you can think of it that way. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so there we go. Now we've got five Earths. to So that red sky, that's pretty early.
3: But yeah, to summarize, I mean obviously the origin here is very different than – even what we've gotten in the comics to this point. I mean
0: this, – This would have made the internet blow up.
3: <laughs> Split the internet in half. Yes, they'd, and they'd, if they maybe, do – Maybe even in thirds.
0: And if they have any of this happen in the movie or the new movie coming up, yeah. <laughs> that is going – yeah. that Facebook will uh, die. If
3: you, <laughs> if you eliminated the Kents from a new origin – Oh, yeah. yeah. There would be such a, a vitriolic reaction from oh, a large yeah. section of the fan base, but then you have your other section of the fan base that that loves anything they do. And, and anyway, I'm, I'm not. Don't send me letters, people. I'm not trying to. You know, you, you can. <laughs> I'm not saying it's wrong
0: to do it. I'm just saying like that whatever this would you want. Happen. But
3: you know, I'm just saying <laughs> there there are extremists on both end of the spectrum. If, so if you've seen. That.
0: If you've seen how people – on the internet, how the internet reacted to Superman – just Superman's costume in the new movie or in the new comic book stuff that they're doing, that's just the costume. That's not even one of the most fundamental parts of the origin. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah. You can only imagine. I mean they could get away with it back then because one, they hadn't really gone into the origin too much, especially this part of it. Uh, and two, there wasn't an internet or a letters page, so even if there was a lot of stuff, no one knows that they complained about it, and no one cared to as much about continuity back then, so it's okay. Right. And yeah, there's probably more people that were no, there would have been fewer, but I'm sure they they didn't really care. It's like oh, that's how it happened, or something like that. they probably yeah. So yeah, these days after 70 plus years of having the one the one origin, yeah that that would that would that would, that would be a devastation. <laughs> just not that I would. Well, I'd probably be pissed too. But it just because just the way the internet would work and the fanboys and yeah. the glories of free speech.
3: But just to sum up, Superman arrives on Earth fully grown. This is the only version of the story that I can think of where that's happened. Unless there was a random, you know, Elseworlds or imaginary story somewhere that I'm forgetting. He, he wasn't raised by the cancer or orphanage because he obviously arrived on earth as a man the identity of clark kent and taking the reporter's job come from the advice of two totally random strangers they don't specify jimmy and his dad don't profess don't specify going to the daily planet but the prof, the professor does recommend a great metropolitan daily and we don't find out he's working for the daily planet until the closing narration of this episode And it's not said in the dialogue until episode 3 When Clark tells the conductor that he's a reporter Right Plus as we talked about, when the story opens He's gallivanting around, fully dressed as Superman No word on where the costume came from uh, Actually, we
0: don't even know he's in the costume Until Jimmy mentions it When he says, right. look there in the sky It's a guy in a blue suit with a brilliant red cape Or something mm-hmm. like that
3: Something like that, yeah but, like I've talked about, these changes and omittances were likely done because the show was aimed at kids who would want action more than setup so the quicker they got to Superman, the better chance they had of grabbing their limited attention span
0: and as much as we liked it, i'm pretty uh, I would imagine that that first episode was pushing it. Could Since be. he never actually shows up, and they don't – and I'm sure a lot of kids had no idea that that baby Kal-El was supposed to be Superman. So
3: Yeah, I've wondered about that. How many people hearing the radio show for the first time had not read the comics or read the newspaper strips?
0: Yeah. That, of course, I'm sure uh, – back in those days, I think they were being read really carefully on a daily basis too. So, um, So maybe they did, but still – but even in the comic strips, that's only in the first, what, two weeks?
3: Yeah, the, the first two weeks of the newspaper strip was just the origin.
0: And that would have been, and this is 1940, so that would have been quite a while ago, so they may have forgotten too. Right. Because they don't go back and mention his history too much, mm-hmm. at least not the kal L part.
3: They, no, not in the uh, not in the dailies. They, they had a couple of random panels here and there that might have summarized it, just one panel, but mm-hmm. that's about it. Not like in the Silver Age where they explain things every pre- <laughs> <they> panel.
0: <laughs> yes, and then they just do the same story again but with different artwork. It's great. Yeah. yeah.
3: But um, still, it's very early in the character's history and, and things are solidifying all over. And add that to the fact that, like the comics, the radio serial was aimed at kids, and it's not at all surprising that the origin mm-hmm. differs from the comics. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Jimmy and his dad never return that I know of, which I think is too bad because as the only other souls who know his dual identity, I think it would have been fun to bring them back at some point.
0: Yeah, that would have been cool, especially since they're, you know, really instrumental at <laughs> setting him up. Yeah,
3: yeah. But again, it's it it was less about establishing things and, and more about, okay, get the Get the nuts and bolts out of the way so we can get to Superman saving the railroad, which is a nice segue to the the latter half of the episode where uh, we go to the Daily Planet and we get the first appearance of Perry White ever. Yes, and
0: And I love this guy's – the way he plays Perry White. Obviously, I'm guessing that later on it's based on this, but his Perry White's really cool.
3: Yeah, he seems – he seems very stern and professional, um, all business. Very, very much a hard newspaper man. He's not really the gruff and blustery character that, uh, that that's coming down the road. hmm But he, he had that that one line he says.
1: You're either clairvoyant or the luckiest guesser alive. Either way, I can use you.
3: <laughs> <laughs> that that line sums up Perry White in the, this this first storyline to me. You know he's he doesn't care how he got it, but you know he he sees a good newspaper man And Clark can't, so he knows he can use it. yes, and um, he shouts a lot, so that's cool, yeah, <laughs> and uh Perry also references the kidnapping of the Lindbergh baby, which happened just shy of eight years prior to these airing. I don't know if there was anything
0: oh, I thought it was referencing something about Charles Lindbergh.
3: he said it would be the biggest story since Lindbergh. Yeah. I assumed he meant the the kidnapping of the Lindbergh baby. Oh, I don't because know. He, when he was the... talking about the missing trains and a missing baby would be.
0: That would make sense. I was thinking it was Lindbergh flying across the Atlantic or whatever. Is well, that what the same, he did? It's
3: the, same, it's the same Lindbergh.
0: Oh. So maybe – yeah. <laughs> Oh, it's the same Lindbergh, so that yeah. definitely wouldn't have happened yet if it was a baby, if it was Charles Lindbergh was the baby. So maybe I don't know what I'm talking about. and I'm just going to let you go since <laughs> you have notes.
3: <laughs> no, his flight happened, uh, I want to say 1930.
0: <laughs> once again, Charlie forces Michael to pull up Google.
3: To, to, that's all right because I like learning the history stuff. Yeah, his flight was in the, – the big historic flight because obviously he flew one once. But the big historic flight was in 1927. And then his baby – Oh, his baby was – His son, yeah, was – Well, here's what might be confusing you. His son was kidnapped and murdered in March 1932, but his son was also named Charles. Okay. Charles Lindbergh Jr., so that could be what you're – why you're confusing it, yeah.
0: And I guess afterwards that would probably be a bigger story than when he flew across the Atlantic, so.
3: Definitely, yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I'd, I'd say you're probably right then.
3: Uh, but it, that has nothing to do with the episode. I, no. Perry referenced the, the – he said it would be the biggest story since Lindbergh, which is why I brought it up. But yeah. anyway.
0: Anyway. A <laughs> yeah, happy history lesson brought to you by Thrilling Adventures of Superman.
3: Right. And then we get the first appearance of Clark Kent in the radio serial and the first time Bud Collier is using his higher voice, which we kind of talked about uh, earlier, I think.
0: Yes. It's it's not just higher too. He he He's –
3: the speech pattern is different. It's, yeah, it's
0: yeah. not. It's not just he's talking like normal, but just changing this. I mean, he's actually a little slower to talk. Mm-hmm. And when he's Superman, he's usually pretty stern
3: with it. Right. So, I mean, this may be an impossible question to answer, but if you didn't know that it was one actor, would you know it was one actor? Oh wow! I mean, aside <laughs> from you know later episodes where he he does the transition. You
0: know, I would, time, yeah, but... I would think it probably was a different actor just on this, based on this first part. Until we actually hear him transition right before he jumps out the window, right? Um, at first, I would probably say because he, if you're not, if you don't know, he does sound quite a bit different from when he was Superman just a little bit ago, right? So yeah, yeah I, I would imagine that I would be shocked until. You actually hear him in mid-sentence go from that, and now I'm going to go out as Superman. Right. You know, it's just like, okay.
3: Uh, but then we have the first appearance of the, uh, the nefarious wolf, even if it's only as a phone voice.
0: Played by Jor-El, so that's
3: cool. Played by Jor-El. Superman's first enemy is his father, I guess. Which is <laughs> weird. It
0: happens to Invincible, too, so it's all right. <laughs>
3: Uh, but uh, the the last comment I had about the second episode was that Miss Smith, the receptionist, was pretty callous towards Clark, uh, belittling him based on the very fact that Perry White agreed to give him a chance at at covering the story. Which yeah, she
0: hasn't been in, uh, into into the radio show yet, but it seemed very lowest lane to me.
3: Yes, yes, and
0: other than the cashier part,
3: <laughs> in the in the um. Those audition recordings The part that Miss Smith plays in this episode Was Lois huh. Ah Yeah The The dialogue's slightly different But it's it's the same effect You know We have Lois yeah. belittling Clark for getting a job and
0: That makes sense then, Especially since in a lot of the versions Of the origin and stuff When he first gets the job uh, Perry gives Lois the job of Kind of showing him around Right So it all kind
3: of works together I'm laughing because you saying that reminded me of the the scene in the pilot to Lois and Clark.
4: And let's get something straight. I did not work my buns off to become an investigative reporter for the Daily Planet just to babysit some hack from nowheresville. And one other thing, you are not working with me, you're working for me. I call the shots, I ask the questions. You are low man. I am top banana, and that's the way I like it. Comprende? You like to be on top. Got it. Don't push me, Kent. You are way out of your league.
3: <laughs> anyway, <laughs> um, you got anything else on episode two?
0: Uh, no, I think we hit it all.
3: So our third episode was called Kino's Landslide, and it features the first actual appearance of Superman's first radio villain, the wolf, as well as the first appearance of his henchman, Kino Carter.
0: But it's not the first Superman villain with an actual, like, name. Because the Ultra Humanite beat him out.
3: Right, right. Yes. Uh, but he, there really haven't been that many villains so far. J- really, just the Ultra Humanite that have had actual uh, and code names isn't the right word, but um, uh, like, uh, like secret identities, I guess. Yeah, maybe,
0: yeah. yeah. Maybe or, co- or like, well, code name would have worked. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Like, because
0: uh, Batman are by this point already had the Joker and the Cat and the Joker again. So he already had a couple, so it's pretty cool that Batman gets the wolf
3: right, but the pilot or the audition recordings came before the Joker, oh really? yes, oh. they were written mm. cause they were written in the fall of nineteen thirty nine and Ouch. Joker first appeared in spring
0: of forty wasn't it? Yes, yeah. when did this okay when they were did it? first dated
3: April nineteen forty so they would have been out. No, 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 no. No, they came out in April 1940. That's what it was. Yeah, they came out in April 1940. Okay. So, yeah, the Batman hadn't, or the Joker hadn't even debuted in the comics at this point. So, wow. Joker and Catwoman hadn't. Of course, she was just called the cat at the beginning.
0: Right, because she was a cat who was a woman. Right. But she was not a, a cat woman. <laughs> she also had that weird costume where she wore the cat head thing. Yeah. <sighs> Yeah, we haven't
3: gotten to that episode yet on the Batman show because we, we ended up going on, on the hiatus. But yes.
0: Oh, she didn't have that in her first appearance in Batman. No,
3: no, no. Oh, no. her first, oh. her first two appearances. She was in Batman number one and Batman number two and Batman number three, I think, or maybe it was four. Anyway, but no, her first two stories, she didn't have the, she didn't have any kind of cat motif. She was just a, a cat burglar is where the cat came from.
4: Oh,
0: okay. I thought she was wearing like that. Um, why can't I think of words to say to The mask? Yeah, cat the, mask? the no. mask was like the, the the mascot head thing.
3: That that didn't show up until her third story. Ah <laughs> oh, just missed it. Yeah. But anyway, I'll let I you like, come back. I like that um, it's kind of spread throughout the episodes, specifically episode five. But I like that Kino isn't completely on board with the Wolf's plans. He's a bit more morally gray than other characters we've seen here in the comics and newspapers, all mm-hmm. of which who have been, you know, absolute good or absolute evil. Kino's a thug, no doubt about it, but he isn't necessarily comfortable with the darker things that the Wolf does, like killing people.
0: Yeah, he doesn't seem to have too much of a problem with, you know, uh, knocking people out or sending, you know. False telegrams and things, but right. when it comes to Moida or Moida. sending down a rock slide he was a little, oh, th- that ain't right.
3: Right, and part of that I think is for exposition, but it's also an example of this, you know, the the deeper characterization we're going to mm-hmm. get in the radio show compared to the comics. Yes, yes. For for what it's worth, in 1940, when you know you're not going to have the the intricately nuanced portrayals of characters like you get today, but Still, yeah,
0: but and some of it helps that it's you're hearing people talk instead of just seeing the words, so right. some of it you get just from the way they talk.
3: Um, this episode also brings what is really really the only major plot point that I, I I didn't care for. I'm not sure why Superman thought to inspect the limited because the wolf's threat was against the silver Clipper. And he hadn't warned them about the Limited, which was the whole point of it. So why – it was the
0: first train he caught up to?
3: Well, right, but why would he think to inspect it when the threat was against something else? It's That's like a you, good point. You're, you're, you, somebody says they're going to blow up a building, and you're walking to the building, and you see another building. Oh, I'll look at this building. To see if yeah. yeah,
0: Yeah. good point. So
3: – Well, if
0: he didn't, there wouldn't be an episode three. Well... Well there would, but it wouldn't be this.
3: <sighs> yes, I get that, but <laughs>
0: <sighs> and D- Darth the plane explode. Wouldn't.
3: Well it exploded because it had to. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> you
0: know, if it, it hadn't, then Superman wouldn't have known to look for the plane, so see.
3: I fully understand the idea that you have to take these stories in the context of the time in which they are written, but I still expect logic and a reasonably sane plot in my stories. So, yeah. it you know. makes sense. But um, on a power's note, Superman comments that the train is going 90 miles per hour, but that he can go faster, which aligns with what we've seen in the comics where he has outran trains. Yes. And uh, Superman sees Kino on the mountainside with the dynamite, and correctly assumes that the guy is working for the Wolf. And he says, "I've got to stop that train." And I, I originally questioned why he wouldn't just go after Kino and stop him from exploding the dynamite, and maybe you know find the Wolf. But after I thought about it some more, he's trying to keep. And I think I mentioned this later on in my notes, but he's trying to keep himself hidden. Right. Superman is trying to keep, Clark is trying to keep Superman hidden, so, you know, landing on the train, getting the train to stop might be a better method to go about that, even if it's not as efficient.
0: Yeah, I thought about the same thing, too. Of course, I also thought about, just because of the version of Superman that I've been re- I've read and I am reading and mm-hmm. stuff like that, that the, ver- my, uh, the version that I think of, he would have seen that and maybe stopped the train, like Physically, physically stop the train. It. Right. Yeah. And I like that on this, uh, we spend a good portion of an episode where he's gotta f- try to figure out a way to get that train to stop. He doesn't he doesn't go after Keno to stop the explosion and he doesn't just physically stop the train. He actually has to sneak on there and try to use his Clark Ken identity to get the train to physically stop. Right. So I thought that was kinda of cool. Plus he's just he's we don't know exactly how strong he is. I mean after all, he didn't stop that trolley car either. He just ripped the roof off and grabbed the people. Right. So he they might not think or at this point his strength might not be to the point where he'd be able to stop the train.
3: Could be. Although later he does bust out of the uh the cellar. Well yeah. Which was pretty fortified. Yeah. But yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. And it did lead to that bit, which I thought was funny, with uh, Clark trying to convince the the conductor to stop the train and then, and kick him off, which I thought was pretty funny.
0: Yeah, that was cool because he's like, "Oh, uh, you can go ahead and kick me off. I understand you have to. Oh, uh, you're a reporter. I don't think I can do that. And it's like, crap. <laughs> I, I actually wanted to hear Clark say that. Crap, that didn't work. <laughs>
3: Even though afterwards he does kind of flip with the conductor, as I said in my synopsis, you know, uh-huh. the the train does. things like, "Oh well, see, I did you a favor by making you stop the train." I'm like Clark, you're pushing your luck here, buddy. I need to-
0: <laughs> <laughs> so you can start thanking me now. Maybe next time you'll listen when I stop tell you we need to stop the train and you need to throw me off the train.
3: <sighs> but as I mentioned in episode thirty-seven, a story in Superman number four, which came out February fifteenth. As this storyline was airing, contained a story where a group of people were trying to disrupt the rail lines, including a train called the Limited. And I well, thought that's that was ironic. It kind of, that was kind of a weird – and I don't know if it was a coincidence or if you know they intentionally did that. It, it seems a little too coincidental for me, but you never know.
0: You don't – yeah, it's, it's – there's no telling how much uh, the – Siegel and all them even knew about this when uh, knew about the radio or knew about the story in the radio show,
3: right. I don't know how much impact one had on the other at this point, you know, right, especially right. since it's when this when this episode was written, it hadn't even debuted yet, so
0: well, okay, let me ask you this without giving away some uh you know any spoilers for the pilot episodes that you heard. Do they deal with the limited, or stop in the limited in those? Since those were written so much earlier,
3: um, it's dealt with.
0: Okay, I'll so they do, much. but they do have the limited in it, and it's a train.
3: It's the idea of rail lines being disrupted is is dealt with. I'll okay, say that much. Okay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you don't you can't answer the other question. Okay, I got gotcha. you.
3: <laughs> yeah, uh, I doubt that had any. i well, doubt I'm just those pilots had any effect on. Well, I'm Superman just thinking number the, four story.
0: Well, I'm just thinking that maybe by that point they knew that they were going ahead with the Superman radio show, so they knew kind of what happened in it, so they thought that it might be clever to feature it in the, in an, one of the stories in Superman four.
3: Hmm, that could be.
0: But then again, I have no idea.
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know for sure either. A lot of the stuff, a lot of the stuff on this show is just you know speculation because we nobody knows. You know, none of the people that were involved are involved are with us anymore, and
0: and the ones that are probably can't remember that far back because either it just because it's been seventy years, or because you know when you get that old, it's hard to remember stuff. So look at Yeah. <sighs> Right. And he's been doing that since the '60s, so who knows?
3: <laughs> but our our next episode, are you done? I'm sorry. Are you? Oh yeah, done I'm, I'm good. Okay. Our next story is, uh, our next episode is Clark Kent imprisoned. And I, I oh, really liked.
0: Not. No, it's mean? not. You're, we're on episode four. Clark Kent captured by the wolf.
3: You're absolutely right. Our next story <laughs> is called Clark Kent captured by the wolf, and and this this episode. Um, I really have less notes about these next three episodes, which is good because the folks are probably ty- tired of hearing us talk by now. But um, <laughs> the uh, this episode has the first reference to a Superman sighting, but people think that Kino and the conductor are nuts, and they even put the poor conductor in a hospital <laughs> for observation.
0: Yeah, I thought that was hilarious, and even I like even the wolf is kind of seems kind of in on the joke because he thinks it's hilarious too. Granted, he yeah not for the same reason as us, but. I thought that was pretty funny. A guy
3: can't stop a train. What are you talking about? Yeah. Well,
0: it makes sense. I'm. You would oh, it think. It does. That they, yeah. I, I'm surprised they didn't th- have that happen to like the governor or whatever in Action Comics number one. Mm-hmm. When he says that some dude in a blue costume came, ripped the door off my room and had me sign a paper to stop an execution.
3: Right. Uh, well, the next <laughs> in Action Comics number one. Clark is looking at the Daily Star, and he says, good, I'm not mentioned. And then we flash to the uh, the mayor's private chamber where he's meeting with his council, and uh, he says, I can't believe my senses. He's not human. Thank heaven he's apparently on the side of law and order. But that's really the only
0: – Yeah, you know, and what, what you don't see is that on the next panel, which they had to cut, was that the mayor – the governor or whatever was being committed –
3: in a straight uh, Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. He's in a straight jacket. I'm not making this up. There was a guy in a red cape and he ripped off my door. And he, uh, yeah. He, we sh- my my manservant shot him and it just bounced off. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah. And later in the episode, Clark actually scoffs at the idea of Superman actually being real. And the public's knowledge or belief in Superman is going to be much more under the radar. In this, the radio serial, than it is in the comics. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the comics, they they kind of played up with it a little bit in the first uh, year year and a half, where people didn't know who Superman was, and then after that, it slowly became they started to recognize him. But in the radio serial, he they're gonna play with that a lot more of of Superman staying hidden, you know, and people getting knocked out while he does his his superhero stuff and.
0: I kind of think that's cool because you don't see that so much anymore
3: and right. just Superman I, oh. hiding. Yeah. He's I would love so to see this Superman as an urban legend Yeah, uh, you, taken seriously in a modern story. But at the same time, you want to see Superman in, in the cape and tights and trunks and, and doing his – superhero stuff in public too so
0: well yeah I mean as you, you, as much as it would be cool to see what super would what it be like if Superman was an urban legend you've also got to have the big Superman lands a space plane in or yeah right. yeah or Superman catches a helicopter outside of a, the daily planet full view of thousands of people right you know you've got to have some big super feet and you can't do that if you're an urban legend
3: right. it makes me wonder um, as we are recording this I have not read. Action Comics number 1 or Superman number 1, the new ones, by, by Grant Morrison and, and okay. Perez.
0: i am glad you clarify it, cause...
3: <laughs> Yeah, And as we're recording this, I haven't read those issues, but by the time you, the listener, are hearing it, I will have. But it makes me wonder if that's what Grant Morrison is going to kind of do in these first six issues, is kind of play with that. From He's... what I've heard about the first issue, it doesn't really seem so, so I'm probably just, you know, kinda wasting like my breath he... here, but
0: kind of looks like he starts off that way in that those previews we saw because i haven't read it either oh, okay uh, as we're recording this superman one hasn't come out yet right it doesn't come out to the end of end september of uh-huh. and i have my action comics issue waiting for me at the comic shop because it's in tulsa and that's an hour away and <laughs> i'm just going to wait till the end of the month and get all the com- well i'm only getting three comics but anyway that's not this podcast um but from what I saw in the preview, it seemed like – well, maybe he's not so much the urban legend. They, But they do try shooting at him and all that stuff like they don't know. Granted, he's supposed to be a new hero. But he is – he's trying to – he's kind of against the cops like certain superhero ripping down tenements too. So
3: Yeah. The only other real comment I had on episode four was that <laughs> when Kino and the wolf were discussing Clark's article, the wolf – uh, says that Clark got there from the east pretty quickly and Kino says he must have flown and I think that kind of gag would have went right over the heads of the kids listening but, but you know for sure the adults got it
0: yes especially since they just went with it without any problem I think the wolf says undoubtedly or, right. yeah. or something like that yeah no problem they totally deadpanned it because <laughs> you can't figure out how he could have flown to get to a train yeah. <laughs> but whatever
3: yeah, I like so, uh, moving on to episode five, which for sure is titled Clark Kent Imprisoned. Um, Yay! I really like Ned Weaver's performance as the wolf. And the first three minutes or so of this episode demonstrates why I like it so much. He just, he comes off as very, uh, he has lines that could come off very cheesy and campy, and I can understand it if people feel that way. But to me, he Weaver delivers them with... Just a, a real sinister arrogance And he, yeah, he does ham it up But it's not way over the top And he's not taking the role Too seriously either, you know
0: Yeah, he he sounds Well, I see you've got a note about that too But instead of sounding like A quote-unquote A comic book or a Saturday morning Cartoon character He right, literally he's not sounds like
3: whiplash, Twirling his mustache and
0: yeah. yeah, it's like, that's what I know Right or anything like that. He literally sounds like uh, he's trying to be a serious actor. Well, he probably is a serious actor, but, but like he's doing a serious performance in a serious production that isn't just aimed at kids. Right, so, and I like it when they do that.
3: And really, all the actors did that, mm-hmm. at least that we've seen so far. You know. Uh, oh yeah. I think as we go down the line, we might start getting more campy uh, performances, but.
0: Yeah, at this point, they're taking it like a very serious production. Like it's like, like it's not aimed specifically at kids. They, I'm sure, they know it is. It mostly
3: it's but, aimed at kids, but it's not cartoonish.
0: Yeah, I'm sure. I, I'm sure it's kind of supposed to be like family entertainment, right. as opposed to like a kids show. It's family. And when when you do stuff for family entertainment, they usually take it a
4: little more seriously. Mm-hmm.
3: After Clark breaks free, he goes up to the roof and for the first time he says one jump and we're up up and away so that's the first time that iconic phrase has been used with the Superman
0: yeah I've also noticed and I've also noticed that when he's landing he's down down Mm -hmm.
3: down (laughs) eventually they do away with the down 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 stuff but the up up sticks around a little longer
0: yeah. Uh, it almost, it, 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 I guess, part of it, I understand why they do it, so you get the idea that he is landing, mm-hmm. but then it also kind of makes it sound like his voice, his flight is voice activated. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, up, up, away, and then, okay, I need to land, down. Oh, there was another note I had. Shoot. Okay. I don't remember if it's four or five. I think it's four. Maybe even three. <laughs> but somewhere between two and four... The uh, the sound effect for Superman's flight changes. In the first two episodes, either when Jor-El is running around or when Superman's flying, it sounds kind of like a hairdryer running. Just a... Huh.
4: I'm going to sit here and try to do it. I didn't
3: change. I know they changed it. Um, I thought they changed it between the recording of the audition recordings and in the, in the show, but maybe it was an episode or two in.
0: Yeah, because at first off, at first I don't know how they did the sound effect, but at first it sounds like uh, just sounds like a uh, it just sounds like a you know uh-huh. like a siren that they don't have the siren part turned on all the way, uh, and then like around four or five it has a more of a noise to it, hmm. not exactly like they use on the TV show, but you know more of a. What you would normally associate with the sound effect for Superman flying, than hmm. a, like a hair dryer.
3: I will have to uh, go back and listen to some of the episodes, and maybe I can edit in a couple clips of okay. of that. Yeah, because yeah, so, me so Charlie me... doesn't sound like a nut.
0: <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Yes, yes, thank you. Oh, I I am. Um, uh, you, I now I know you can notice it. Um, like on just to help you out, like on the episode one especially, you can totally hear it when they're doing the up in the sky part at the beginning of the episode. Okay. I don't know I, – I tried to pay attention to it, but then I just kind of forgot about it, and I'm sitting there listening to episode five, and I'm like, oh, wait. <laughs> they changed the sound effect. But yeah, I didn't even notice it until I was listening through it paying attention to stuff for this show.
3: Um, the story goes apparently the, the sound effect for Superman flying was formed by combining a recording of a wind tunnel played backwards with a recording of an artillery shell – flying through the air.
0: Okay. That would make the whizzing sound. That right. Makes. Um, and then we go to the other page to find out how they did the other part.
3: But then when, when like, Superman would land, you know, and it, it would slow down, they mm-hmm. would actually crank that down by hand. Oh, slower wow. Slower and slower to get the, the, uh, the slowing of <laughs> the noise, I guess.
0: Yeah. Well, maybe maybe what they did... Because I'm guessing what happened – what it kind of sounds like is maybe they either took out or turned down the volume some on the artillery shell. Mm. So and it's less – brought up more of the uh, the sound of the wind tunnel. More wind and less whistle? Yeah, that's okay. that's basically what it is. It, the, yeah, at first it sounds like – you can hear – I mean there's still wind, but it sounds a lot like whistle. And then by like episode four or five, it's more wind than whistle. Hmm. I don't know. That's just something I noticed.
3: I like getting back into the story. I like that Kino and the wolf keep catching glimpses of Superman lurking about, and they think it's a chicken hawk or a, uh, one of the wolf's uh, workmen or whatever. And then finally, Kino does see Superman's cape, but the wolf blows him off as seeing things again. Uh huh. And it, it's a little bit of paranoia, I think. I mean, they didn't really play up the paranoia aspect of it, but you know, they.
0: Well, I think if, that's if they what they're. Paying, I'm sorry. Uh, keep going.
3: If you weren't paying real close attention, you you really wouldn't even pick up on what they were doing. Especially cause yeah. the first thing. It's what was that? You know, in the sky, and then oh, it's a chicken hawk, and then <coughs> keep on with their conversation. Uh,
0: yeah, because there's no there's nothing in the narration or anything about Superman actually seeing them landing and listening. It's Superman's flying away. We don't know what's going on, and then while they're talking, Kina's just what was that? Right, and. Yeah, if you're not paying attention, you would actually think it was just a workman or a chicken hawk or whatever. Right.
3: The The last note I had for Episode 5 was that it was a, was another Powers note. Superman comments that he has night vision and x-ray vision, which are both things he's displayed in the comics. So again, yes. Powers-wise, we're holding very close to… Really, the only thing they've changed is the the origin, I guess.
0: Well, on the flying—he does more oh, leaping still uh, in the comics. <laughs> <laughs> geez. Why I invited you on? You,
3: you remember the important things. There you go. Uh, but yeah, the flying. I mean, other than that, though, they're they're keeping very close to the comic book interpretation so far. Yes. But moving into episode six, which was called "Menace to the Silver Clipper." Um. I love how when Clark calls back to the planet to talk to Perry, he, he tells Perry that he's been chained up in a cellar, and Perry just completely ignores the comment and is more concerned about stopping the press. <laughs> he's like, "Where you been, Kent? Oh, chained up in a cellar? Never mind that." Yeah, it's like,
0: "Hey, uh, yeah, it just—I did this, but it's all right." And he's like, yeah. "Well, okay, then I'll just let it go."
3: <laughs> I did want to point out though that notice this that. Clark doesn't say outright that Superman is a myth.
1: I can't wait. What's all this about a mysterious flying figure? Something called uh, Superman? Oh, forget it, Mr. White. Somebody's pipe dream, eh? Huh? There's been a lot of talk. Well, forget it. I, I'm in a position to know. So long, Mr. White. Good luck, Kent. I'll be waiting.
3: Hey, stop the press. He doesn't outright say that Superman is a myth or doesn't exist. He just, right. he does that kind of, um, kind of wink and nod thing that George Reeves did. You know, never, he doesn't lie about it. But he doesn't really tell the truth either, exactly. Which I, I like.
0: And this isn't the last time Perry's going to ask him about it. No, no. <laughs> it's one of those things where they come back to it often.
3: Really, that's it for <laughs> episode six. Um, they obviously stopped the train, the train issue, and the um, the whole bit with um, trashing the car and and making it look like an accident was nice. Keeping Superman hidden, you know, trying to frame it so that it looks like. The uh, the criminals did themselves in. So, right. But did you have anything else on? Uh,
0: uh, well, I like the cliffhanger at the end.
3: Yeah, that sets up the yellow mask. Yes. Did, they, uh, did I just pull that ahead? No, they said the yellow mask, didn't they? Yeah,
0: they, yeah. they do. Um, yeah, it is really, I, I, I thought it was really cool because you think you're at the end of the story. Well, actually, in one way it's cool, but in another way it kind of annoys me because you think you're at the end of the story and you can take a breather But then, boom, we're at the beginning of a new story.
3: Yeah. We'll get used to that, though, because that's going to be a frequent. Oh yeah, I understand occurrence. that. Yeah,
0: I, I, and it's it's it's. I don't have as much of a problem with it now when I have these on like CD or tape or something, so I can just immediately listen to the next episode. Oh, uh-huh. But if I was a kid back then and I was listening to this one,
3: I have to wait two days.
0: I know one. You're, they have you know you have to wait the weekend because this is probably on a Friday at this point. Yes. So you have to wait the weekend. You're in anticip. You're you're probably well. I would have been. I say that because I don't know how my mind would have been like when, you know, thinking in terms of 1940. But based on the way I think now, I don't, I kind of get ticked off when we have a multi-part story (laughs) and I have to wait for the second part because I have no patience. So finding out that now they're going to go up against the, the yellow mask and the Daily Planet has 24 hours to 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 survive and I've got to wait 48 hours for the next episode <laughs> and probably knowing in my mind that these episodes are broken up into several parts so I'm not even going to get the full complete continu completion of the story you know right is it, it, I'm just really glad that it's 70 years later and I have access to the next episodes
3: thank God for technology yay and the future uh overall though I thought this was a, a great opening to the series. I really love the, the first two episodes, even with the origin changes. You know, we had a good villain in the, the latter the latter four episodes and then the revelation of the yellow mask at the end, <laughs> even though they did hint that there was a bigger villain as far back as episode three. Yes. Yes, yeah.
0: And even though they did change parts of the origin, it still gets us set up to where we need to be in order to – I mean even with those origin changes, if you picked up a comic book based on this, you have all the information you need to know. Yeah. Other than the fact that it's not Perry White as the editor yet, and there's this girl named Lois that keeps hanging around.
3: Right. And I don't want to say that Clark landing on Earth and being raised by the Kents isn't important. I think it is. Especially today, but in this era when they were just trying to get right to Superman, and they weren't ever going to reference back to Krypton or, or how he got uh, the knowledge of of Earth culture and learned to talk and all that, it's not important.
0: Right, and it wasn't even big in the comics.
3: No, 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 no.
0: They no. don't really go into him. I mean, it's what one panel in Superman one, and maybe yeah, a Superman panel in su-
3: Superman number one was the first place we learned of the Kents. Yeah. Uh, other, other than that, it was he was raised in an orphanage. So, mm-hmm. you mention it. There's no Lois Lane in this initial storyline. It part of that surprises me, but then again, Lois wasn't a huge part of the books at this point. She was she wasn't in every story, but she was a she was a significant enough part that I'm surprised they didn't work her in somehow. But yet, she wasn't as big of a part that it doesn't surprise me. If that makes any sense at all.
0: Yeah, if you think about it, um, of course, not all the characters we know of today were even really introduced by this point. I think Lois is basically the only other one. Excuse her, me. But...
3: Her, the editor, which okay. by this point had been named George Taylor, okay. and the ultra humanite are the only recurring characters.
0: Okay. So by this point, the only recurring character that is in this story is Superman and Clark. So in
3: the editor who got a new name. Yes, but, he's got a new na- right. New
0: name now. Yes, but technically they would think of well, think technically you can kind of think of that as a separate character too. Right. Just cuz the name's different. And at this point Jimmy's not even in the comics, so no one would even think of the possible connection with the Jimmy that we've already met. And yeah, so you really only get Clark and Superman that would be recognizable from the comics. Speaking well, of Jor-El.
3: Well, yeah, Doral and Laura, yeah. yeah. I don't really consider them. They're not really recurring characters. They're not really recurring, characters.
0: and you wouldn't even know their names if you hadn't read the uh, newspaper newspaper strip. Right. And, like I said, that's still about a year back at this point. Mm-hmm. Almost, so,
3: um, but speaking of things that weren't brought into the radio show yet, Metropolis is not named in these episodes. Oh, crud. And and I actually had to go back and listen to it a few times to make sure, because I, for some reason, thought for sure that they had named it at some point. But
0: Me too. I might have even said that back in Metropolis.
3: I oh, that's, that's all right. Uh, we know it's Metropolis. But um, most of the story's action takes place out west in Colorado and Utah, and we do get hints about Metropolis' location, because they say it was uh, back east, and then in episode two... Perry mentions a, an amount of time it would take to travel to Denver And it's roughly the amount of time it would take to get from Colorado to New York So okay. that kind of holds to what we've seen in the comics too But no, Metropolis as a name isn't named in these, or mentioned in, in these first six episodes Wow,
0: I didn't and, even notice that
3: And at this point I don't know where it is brought in So we're going to have to pay attention as we go forward
0: Okay, yeah, I, I will definitely pay attention to
3: that we kind of talked about this earlier, but Clark's portrayal is different here than in the comics too. He's he's confident and self assured and and kind of gung ho. He's not the the meek wimp of the comics, you know. Mm-mm. He sounds like it <laughs>
0: sometimes. Yeah, sometimes. But but he it's like I think it's pretty interesting because they they actually the police are listening to him as far as what they should do to stop this stuff, and it just right. like he's a reporter.
3: <laughs> right He, doesn't he just have shows the, up Out of nowhere Yeah he from, doesn't
0: Really have the authority To tell this chief of police Of whatever that small town was right. That he should be Getting in a car And driving up to the place And see what happens It's like uh, Okay
3: <laughs> Um, And there are, there's just other I had three other comments And I'm probably Going to comment on these A lot as we go Through the show uh, I think the sound effects Are great and, and All throughout the radio serial They just mm-hmm. Knocked it out of the park The voice acting Is pretty much all good I, I think Bud Collier Is Hands down, the best voice actor for Superman ever, even beating out Tim Daly, who I really like. I kind of wish.
0: uh, I'd go with that, too, because there's some times where, uh, where Tim Daly sounded just like he was kind of flat on his performance. But Collier seems to, I mean, just listening to it, you would think he really is trying to save a train and right. watching it go by, saving it at the last minute and stuff like that. I mean, he's...
3: With the grunting and the... Yeah. Yeah, he's
0: got a lot of range. I, that's what I'm trying to say. That's the proper uh, adult words for it. He's got a lot of range where Tim Daly just didn't.
3: Right. Um, in the writing... Oh, I was going to talk about... Oh, Julian Noah. I, I kind of wish he didn't do so many voices as we we mentioned at the top of the show. He doesn't have the range... Yeah. yeah. Most of his characters sound similar. I mean, he did four different characters, and Perry and the, White and what was the first one, the conductor, sound almost exactly uh-huh. the same.
0: Yeah, they were all kind of talk fast talking authority people that right. was taking a back seat to Clark. Uh, Perry was a little more forceful, but yeah, they all pretty much sounded the same with a little bit change in the pitch.
3: Right. Dog. But that's just a minor point. If you're paying attention, yeah. you you know what's going on. It doesn't really lead yeah. to much confusion.
0: Yeah, they they specific, the narrator specifically tells you that he's meeting with the chief of police or the right. conductor. So you don't have to worry about trying to separate. <laughs> it's not like Perry and the conductor were talking or something. <laughs> yeah. That would have been interesting.
3: Have you – not to, not to uh, venture into another tangent, but have you ever seen the clip from the Adam West Batman series where – Batman is talking to Bruce Wayne on the phone? I have. Okay. That is
0: hilarious. Yeah.
1: Yes, Commissioner? Mr. Freeze wants what? Hello? I'll see if I can get him, Chief O'Hara. A moment, Commissioner. Uh, Chief O'Hara, this is Bruce Wayne. Mr. Freeze wants what? Commissioner Gordon is on the other phone with Batman, Mr. Wayne. Uh, Perhaps if we put the two phones together, uh, you could talk to him yourself. All right, Chief. I don't have much time. (coughs) Batman? Yes, Mr. Wayne. Have you heard Mr. Freeze's scurrilous demands? Just briefly. If Robin and I act as go-betweens, are you prepared to make the telecast at midnight and pay the ransom, Mr. Wayne? I have no choice, Batman. Then may I suggest you tape the broadcast from the commissioner's office an hour earlier. And we will have a dummy package of money. A dummy package of money? That sounds risky. Risk is our business, Mr. Wayne. Of course, Batman, I have the same faith in you that all of Gotham City has. I hope Robin and I are deserving of that faith... I'll make the necessary arrangements and meet you with the commissioner's office at 11. fine did you get all that commissioner indeed i did batman we'll set up the tape telecast and have the dummy package of money waiting see you at 11 tonight two fine men so dissimilar in many respects and yet yet so similar in others
0: and i never noticed how much that he, adam was uh, changed his acting between Batman and yeah. Bruce Wayne up until that point. I, they yeah. seem very similar to me.
3: When but you then, don't see them together, they seem kind of similar. But... Yeah, it's like, how can you not tell it's the
0: same person? But then when you hear him on the phone, it's like Batman's all a little bit deeper voice uh-huh. and more authoritative. Bruce, Wayne's, Bruce more laid Wayne's back and kind yeah, of laid, like laid, uh, well. Collier's doing with Kent and Superman here.
3: Not to a that little. extreme, but yeah, it's very similar approach. No, not to the extreme. Approach, yeah. Yeah.
0: He he relies more on the vo- on the vocal on the vocal change, and Adam West kind of re- does more on with the acting change. But well, yeah,
3: Bud Collier has to because he doesn't have he doesn't <laughs> yeah, have the luxury of visuals, so they can't see him. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but lastly, the the writing on these is clearly done for kids, but it doesn't always feel like they're writing down to the kids necessarily. I mean, there is a lot of exposition, but all radio shows at the time had that, and and exposition is different than handholding. So, right. I think adults can enjoy these too, clearly, you know, Charlie and I are both somewhat adults, and we <laughs> we we enjoy them a lot, so or at least I do. I don't want to speak for Charlie, but you no, seem I, like I, you enjoy him, so
0: yeah, this was fun,
3: and given how popular the series was, I'm sure many adults back in nineteen forty enjoyed them too. so, if you're interested in hearing the radio episodes yourself, all six of the episodes we covered here were included in the. Radio Spirits' Smithsonian box set released on CD and cassette in the mid-90s. And um, all the episodes of the Superman radio series, the American version, are public domain and can be acquired from many places across the internet. So the box set aside, do not pay for them. And you'll find a lot of people on eBay and that have set up web, you know vendor websites offering them for sale. Don't buy them because you can get them on your own. if. You know, look around. I think the Internet Archive has them. There's a couple. Uh, there iTunes. are websites. Yeah, there's websites. There's iTunes feeds that deliver them. You know, just look around. If you absolutely cannot find them, drop me an email and I'll maybe point you in the right direction. But you know, it's, it's just my recommendation. Unless you're extremely lazy and don't want to go to the work <laughs> of finding them yourself, don't buy them because you're wasting your money. Exactly. So, uh, but the first two episodes, which would be. The Krypton sequence and then the part with Superman and uh, Jimmy and the Professor, they were adapted in text form, likely with spot illustrations in a magazine called Radio and Television Mirror, uh, the uh, January 1941 cover date. I've never seen that particular uh, issue of the magazine, so I don't know how they dealt with the cliffhanger at the end.
0: I haven't and, heard of them. And, and I,
3: yeah, and I don't think episodes three through six were serialized in the in the magazine, but – Anybody seen it, let me know.
4: Do you enjoy time travel in general, and the Silver Age of comic books in particular? If so, join me each week on the Superman Fan Podcast. My name is Billy Hogan, and I will be your host... Together, we'll crash through the time barrier and fly into the past to explore the Silver Age adventures of Superman. One week, we will take a look at the Superman family of titles, Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen, World's Finest Comics, and soon, Superman's girlfriend, Lois Lane. And your emails are always welcome at SupermanFanPodcast at gmail.com. And don't forget to wear your red indestructible cape. The Dawn of an Age The founding of a family
2: You know we haven't done enough research into the effects of cosmic rays.
4: We've got to take that chance.
2: Conditions are right tonight. Let's go.
0: They're penetrating the ship. Our shielding isn't strong enough. I
4: feel like I'm burning up.
2: Too heavy. Can't move. Too heavy. We're all alive.
4: I feel so strange. You're fading away. I can't see you at all anymore.
2: Uh, Look what's happening to you. You're
4: changing. Oh, Reed, not you too. What
2: happened
1: to me? to all of us.
4: I can fly!
2: We gotta use that power to help mankind, right? And so was born the Fantastic Four.
1: For soon the mole man will have the
2: entire world in his power! I am the mightiest living mortal on earth and half. Mankind shall feel that's minds?
5: The Fantastic Four Little a debate dream. They're the palms in the hands of Dr. Doom. The human torch will
3: be the
4: Puppet Master's next victim. You epics can't change the way I can. That least I'm the powerful person on earth. I've been expecting you, for I am a thinker. I vow never to return, my lord, until the fantastic floor no more, and the phantom earth is no more. You're in the presence of
1: the awesome Robotons, King of Kings, Master of Men, and Lord
2: of the Seven Sons. You're just a muscular freak. Blind or halt. Stop. You must not end on the castle of Diablo. My,
4: My journey life. has ended. This planet I shall sustain and drained drain all elemental life. So, be galactic. Flame on! It's clobbering time! The Fantastic Four from the very beginning. Witness the origins of a legend. The Fantasticast. FFCast. Dot Libsyn,
0: when you picture Superman in the radio shows, mm-hmm. what does he look like? I don't really
3: picture him so much. I see when I do it. Maybe like, maybe a Schuster drawing. I mean, I don't. Hmm. I don't necessarily visualize the stories in my head like a like it would be playing out like in a cartoon or. Okay. Um, but just, yeah, I guess if I did, it would be you know more like the the uh the Schuster Cassidy drawings from around this time okay than uh, than the later later forties stuff
0: now, it's weird I don't, I don't know if it's just because I know the time,
3: but like if I'm reading
0: those Superman novels, I picture him like Kurt him. well yeah with the radio show for some reason, I picture a younger uh George Reeves. Okay. For, Superman. For Superman, I picture a younger George Reeves, but when it's Clark Kent, it's a comic book art, and I can't tell you who the artist is, but he's uh, one of the early guys that worked on Superboy. Actually, it might even be early Kurt Swan when he was on Superboy. It's just, I don't know, when, back when Clark was really literally just combing his hair straight back. Okay. Um, and it's and he when he kind of looks younger, it's it's because he just seems younger on this.
3: Schaffenberger? No,
0: this is before. This is like forties.
3: Oh, okay.
0: Yeah, forties, late forties, maybe. But yeah, that's I. I picture a, car, a comic book version of Clark, and Superman is a younger, a younger uh, George Reeves. But because they don't mention any red on the costume other than his cape, I picture him with the blue boots, kind of like he had in the first issue of oh, Action a Lace Up. Yeah, yeah, laced up blue boots and not even uh, having the – it's just a blue unitard kind of thing. No trunks? But he's, nope. Hmm. Maybe. He has the belt, but it's a really well, It's clearly belt.
3: not Superman.
0: <laughs> Obviously, yeah. And that's why I don't listen to the radio show to this day.
3: <laughs> now, let's turn that question around. When you read the comic stories from this era, do you kind of hear the voices in your head as
0: – Yes. Uh, the gold, When I – Read the old ones, I hear – I definitely hear Bud Collier. Me too, yeah. When I read the stuff from the Bronze Age and the 80s, uh, usually I hear the guy from Super Friends. Okay. Um, And then when I'm reading like Burn and Forward, it's kind of a combination of Christopher Reeves and the guy from Super Friends, depending on what he's saying. Hmm. But – um. And then, when you get even later, like once you hit after two thousand and they do the sort of reboot with Jeff Loeb and all them, he sounds like uh Tim Daly from the animated series. I do this stuff it's <laughs> it, when I read the old batman book i the the thirties and the Golden Age and everything, I hear him like played by that guy with that played him on Superfriends. yeah, I rarely actually ever hear him as by uh, Adam West even in the 60s stuff. <laughs> and well, then as uh, soon as Neil Adams comes funny. on, he's Kevin Conroy. And then as soon as it jumps right from there to the Kevin Conroy version, and then it's Kevin Conroy all the time.
3: Did you watch much of the Adam West series when you were young? Oh, yeah, all okay. the time. I just they, say if you if you hadn't really watched that too much when you were growing up, then that could explain why it didn't really ingrain itself in your head. But Well, I think
0: it's um, – I haven't seen so much of it lately, but I have seen a lot more of Super Friends and stuff lately. Mm, okay. yeah. So that could be part of it. Uh, just, he taught, I mean, the Batman in the comics talked like that on the show. Right. But when I hear it, and and I can't hear, what's his name is Robin? It's It always comes the out Lord. as, uh, yeah, I, I can hear him when he does the holy things.
2: Holy catastrophe! <laughs>
0: <laughs> but then the rest of the time, he just sounds like um, Casey Kasem. Casey Kasem. I don't know. But I do that. When I read Transformers, they change how they sound too. They might be Peter Cullen as Optimus or it could be the guy that was Optimus Primal on Beast Wars. But that's just the way I am. I have no – I cannot hear anything for Flash.
3: Not even John Wesley ship. Well, see, I
0: haven't – I literally have not seen an episode of The Flash since it was originally on TV. Me either. <laughs> so, yeah, so I couldn't tell you or what Michael John Rosenbaum, Shipp.
3: I guess. I guess I hear Michael Rosenbaum more than – John wants a ship
0: maybe I, I don't even hear that unless I'm trying to now if I'm I really try to do it if I'm listening or reading like Justice League Adventures or something <laughs> you know yeah. based on a cartoon but if I'm just reading the book usually I don't although and I don't know who I hear I hear a voice saying that that I'm my, my name is Wally West I'm the Flash the fastest man alive I don't know who I'm hearing saying it but it isn't me yeah <laughs> anyway, I've taken us off another tangent. So anyway, so yes, yeah, Superman as an urban legend would be awesome. But let's see. How is that
3: how we started on this topic? Yes, it is. An hour ago. Yeah, oh, pretty much. I think oh, so.
0: No, you got a long recording to edit. Um,
3: that's all right. Um, well, I want to thank you, Charlie, for coming on. It was really fun having somebody here to, to chat with again. And oh,
0: hey, no problem. Thanks for having back. me again. This is um, fun.
3: As I mentioned at the top of the episode, I I have an announcement concerning the future of the show. And that announcement is that Charlie will be joining me each and every episode where we talk about the radio episodes. So he will become, starting with this episode really, he's going to be my semi-regular co-host for the show. I'm very happy that he's agreed to come on.
0: Oh, and I'm looking forward to it. I'm really glad you asked me about this because this is going to be fun.
3: Charlie will be back two episodes from now When we look at the next storyline from the radio So I'm looking forward to that Next episode, I will be solo again And we will be looking at a Specially commissioned Superman comic story That was not published in the comic books Ooh. Uh, Charlie, why don't you tell them about Where they can find your, your podcasts and, and anything else you've got online
0: Okay um, Well, my main show is Superman in the Bronze Age uh which as you can tell by the title co- follows uh, the adventures of Dr Doom in the golden age awesome. um yeah i know it's really cool No, uh it i cover basic uh similar not exactly the same but similar to the way michael does the Golden Age with Superman
3: I follow it's, it's similar but his show is actually good so Oh
0: yeah thanks <laughs> but I I follow Superman from basically 1970 to 1986 uh, and that can you can either find that at uh, superman in the bronze age dot or it's also at super bronze 1970 at li, or and then I have currently I have two sets of iTunes feeds and two sets of RSS feeds I'm going to be getting rid of my old one uh, by the end of October. So I suggest if you want to check it out, uh, check out the new ones. Uh, the links for show postings all, con- all contain the new ones. And on iTunes, um, since I was stupid entitled both of them with the exact same name, the new one has a lovely picture of Superman, and the old one has... Superman, this, a silver Superman S on a space background, if that helps. Anyway, so that's Superman of the Bronze Age. And then I'm getting ready to start. The show hasn't actually premiered yet, and probably still won't have by the time this show sees the light of day. But I'm also get um, getting together with Isaac Frisbee, and we're covering the Justice League of America from the beginning on the Podcast of Justice. And you can find that eventually at podcastofjustice.blogspot.com. So that's a, and then of course I am a semi-regular co-host on Thrilling Adventures of Superman, where I help Michael Bradley talk about the Superman radio show from the '40s.
3: That's a great show. You all should listen to the Thrilling Adventures of
0: Superman. Yeah, it's it's one of my favorites. Uh, just when that, just when that, just when they do the radio show. Though. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, <laughs> <come on>. no, <laughs> no, I um, like the other ones too. <laughs>
3: But uh, in all seriousness, I do thank you, Charlie, for coming on, and thank you for agreeing to become my new uh, co-host for the radio show. It, it's it's a lot of fun having co-hosts, and I'm glad you could come on. So oh, well, looking well thank forward you for having you back.
0: Well, thank you again for inviting me. I look forward to coming back. This is I, I'm really looking forward to this, and and it's fun to be a co-host.
3: <laughs> As for this show, I invite you all to stop by the website at greatcrypton.com for show notes and links to back episodes. If you want to subscribe to the show, you may do so via the RSS feed or iTunes, and links to both of those can be found at the site as well. If you have questions or feedback, you can email me at thrillingadventures at greatcrypton.com. You can also get a hold of me ver- via the various social networks, as the site will also give you links to the show's Facebook page and Twitter feed. Uh, like the show on either sites, and you'll get updates on your wall whenever I have new episode or other show-related news. And don't forget to check out the Superman homepage as well as the Superman Podcast Network. Posts are made on both places whenever new episodes are out, and both sites have tons of other Superman-related content that you should definitely check out. As always, Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Shuster and is copyright DC Comics. So thanks again for listening to The Thrilling Adventures of Superman, and I will talk to you later. Goodbye.
0: Bye, everybody. a cool sound. That was weird. It sounded like I fell into a bucket of water. That was cool. Yeah. I mean, at least it waited till the end of a sentence, but it was like, uh, either already working with Glenn Miller or soon would begin to, and then it just went... Uh, let me think a minute. Take your time. Don't hurt yourself.
3: Ow. <laughs> the narration describes a magnificent... Si- I hate that word.
0: Magnificent? <laughs> uh. so you could just say awesome. Great, awesome... Amazing Spectacular Radical dude Yeah Just think of Just think of some of the uh, adjectives That they use on comic books It's uncanny uh, (laughs) Amazing Spectacular Sensational Fantastic uh, Super
3: Irredeemable Oh no wait (laughs) No that's
0: just a guy Uh, Oh no no That's right And incorruptible
3: Man of steel Man of Oh wait Yeah (laughs) (laughs) Well
0: it's super It's Batty, it's night. ish it's a wonder.
3: It's the Gotham Night City. No. <laughs> yes, <laughs> the Savage City.
0: There you go, like a dragon. Superman realizes that he can't work in his in his. Uh huh. He can't.
3: Many years ago, a dam was built and the valley filled with water to create with reservoirs. <sighs> To, to create with Reservoir. That makes a lot of sense, doesn't
0: it? <laughs> yeah, that was good.
3: <laughs> but I, I did a little bit of research. Oh, and- oh
0: hold on, hold on. Shoot. Got my way wife way. calling. Hold on.
3: <laughs> Donka Shane. Darling, Donka Shane.
0: Duncan Shave, really? <laughs> <laughs> I hope you keep that in the show.
3: Why, Jimmy, these are the cloak and shield of Superman. Okay, there? Uh-huh. Okay. Eating my vanilla wafers. Mm. Hello? Still... Hello? Hello. Hi. Hi. <laughs> okay. Okay, I'm still here. All right, let's start. Let's start that over.
0: <laughs> All right, yeah, because now we both look like idiots, <sighs> so that's cool.
3: In Action Comics number one, I'm
0: looking. Hang on. You hear that noise, folks? That's because he's got a genuine copy of Action Comics number one.
3: Had to take it Probably out of the, uh, the, the uh, CGC plastic, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> one jump and we're up. Up and away!
0: Everyone's che- wanting to check out Batgirl, and so that's not a Supergirl that's easy to explain to people. But I'm not going to get into
3: that. It is, and that's a whole <laughs> other tangent that you don't want to get okay. me started on. So yeah. Okay.
0: Well, it, it is, but it, it you get eyes roll. But anyway, to, uh, I got to double check with she who must be obeyed. For
3: so, thanks again for listening to the thrilling adventures of Superman, and I will talk to you later. Goodbye.
0: Bye, everybody. I stood here and waved.
3: <laughs> I don't think they can see that.
0: No, 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 not at all. I don't even have my video camera working, so no. And this is an audio podcast, so even if I did, you would only catch the audio, and that would be that. Yeah, I'm just Unless talking. you
3: waved, like, right in front of your microphone. You might be able to get the wind. Can the... you hear
0: it? No. Okay, then No. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I tried it. Well, they won't hear that, but yes, I did try it.
3: Okay, we have to be serious now.
0: All right. Oh, uh, okay.
3: <laughs> oh, that's the end of the episode, isn't it?
0: Okay. Uh,
3: yeah. Well, that, yeah.